Welcome to episode 157 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode eShop Till You Drop because the vast majority of it is about games exclusive to the eShop, be it ones that are out now or ones that will be coming out soon. So for that reason, we're going to kind of flip the episode a little. Like anyone that listens to us regularly, you know we do news and then games. Today, we're doing games the news. This almost feels like a sequel to one of our older episodes that was very similar. We, yeah, we've done this a few times. For the 3DS, because there was a ton of eShop games at one point. We've done this for the 3DS. We did this with indie games on Switch in like uh, the week Mario Kart came out. So like in April or May. Uh-huh. So we've done this a few times. But yeah, it, it, it's interesting because like everyone gets so caught up in the big games. You know, the, the Splatoons and the arms and the carts of the world. They forget that there's little games like Overcooked or Slime Sand. I more the carts and the Splatoons. Than the arms. Yeah, you might be onto something. But uh, yeah, but you forget like the little games like the Overcooked or the Slime Sands. Or this one, not quite so much. The Sonic Manias or the Kirby's Blowout Blasts, which also is a bad example. Point is, there's games big and small in eShop. And we're going to talk about them this episode. So before I just rattled off. We have impressions of all four. We're going to start with that. From there, we're going to jump into eShop games coming down the pipe that may be worth keeping an eye on, as well as some um, new announcements from uh, the quote-unquote major third parties. Plus, we have uh, our thoughts on the Nintendo World Championships coming back, July MPD sales numbers, Jason Sales Corner, and uh, some hardware announcements from Nintendo that kind of came in out of nowhere. So, if there's anything specific you want to hear, specific games you want to hear about, timestamps for your are your friend. Go to episode 157. We list all the games and all the news there. Otherwise, um, and I can't stress this enough, it's just all eShop all the time this episode. Because, like, the Switch is, what, like five months old now? Yeah. And as of Sonic Mania coming out this past week, we now have 100 games. of Actually, over 100 games available to download on the eShop on Whoa. the Switch in five months. That's not bad. So only 13% of their catalog? About? Hmm? I don't know. 13% of what catalog? Well, you said they have, like, about or a little over 100 games. So if I have, like... 28 oh of your catalog your personal i see what you're saying yeah sorry i misunderstood you there yes exactly you own a decent chunk of the entire catalog and the thing is and those most of their games are um not neo geo the, ports yeah, the <laughs> they're geo. not neo geo ports the majority of the games <laughs> are actually original games um, well, well i mean like there are more neo geo games like neo geo has put out more games than any other company right on there is well that, that, it wasn't even neo geo it was hamster well, which is the best name for well, a game hamster publisher. i mean you know what yeah I mean. yeah yeah but yeah, it's um. But now the games are coming not a out, bad like, thing. If anything, it's a good thing because they have put out some really interesting fighting games on there. On top of the Metal Slugs and and King of Fighters, which is the go-to fire, but they have other ones too. Exactly, right? they put out very interesting fighting games on there. Oh, <laughs> yes, I misheard you. Yeah, I digress. Um, no, but I was gonna say like, and they're coming out so fast. Not just Neo Geo, but in general, like we're getting five or six new eShop games a week now. Actually, it doesn't I don't seem know, to be Neo letting Geo up. Game in a while. Now that I think about it, um, we're... didn't King of Fighters 2000 just come out like in the last I don't two know. weeks? Maybe I know Japan or another region got Metal Slug too recently, but close friends of mine that are very into Metal Slug say do not get that one. Your sources say we have not yet received Metal Slug, according to your inside sources, outside sources. No, 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 no. That yeah, no, I, I got what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, pretty much that. Do not 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 to buy Metal Slug two because no. oh, then I will. Yeah, because even though Metal Slug two is coming out, so I figured all right, I bought part one and part three. I should buy part two, but my friends that. Played Metal Slug to Death on the arcades and in other consoles. It's too Tell me, do bad. not. 
No, because apparently there's a game called Metal Slug X that is ah. just part two, but better. So a remake or a revamp? I guess it's or like a, a redo. Di- I don't. I don't know. I mean, I haven't played it, but apparently it's like just like to buy that one instead of two because that's just the same game but better. Interesting. Like the DX version, I guess. I don't know, but I'll take their word for it because they know what they're talking about. Well, eventually that's gonna come to Switch. What were we talking about? With the five oh, or six games, other games. Yeah. yeah, no, I was just saying that there's a ton coming to Switch, and eventually that's going to come to Switch, too. Because, yeah. like, like, it's just the frequency of these are so much. Um, well, I mean, unless you have um, a bunch of region-free accounts, then... I that's even don't... more so. Yeah. If you have a region-free account, you can go onto the Russian eShop and get Sonic Mania for only $11. But then you're stuck with a Russian copy, and then the FBI will come knocking on your door in a couple months. So Don't they not maybe really care do if they do that? All they say that... You're no, just... they don't care. I was making a joke about the Russian investigations. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, they don't care. That's just talking about Nintendo in general. No. No, I mean, no, no. no, you the... can do that. That's why it's region free now. That's why oh, they yeah. let you do That's it. Like, all yeah. they said was like, "Oh, just warning that you might not be able to understand it." I just find it interesting that it's such a big price difference. Eleven dollars in Russia versus twenty in America. That's a yeah. notable That's price like the difference. Monster Hunter demo. So that was cool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we. Um, but yeah, I have mentioned Sonic Mania a few times now, so I feel like I feel like we should start there. Like it's the new hotness in the gaming world this week, and you know, it, it's for a good reason. It turns out. So I've been playing it. You have not yet tried it, if I'm not mistaken. No. You're going to play it on Elvis's PS4 and then the PS4 killed itself, right? Isn't that essentially what happened? Yeah, we've just been staring at the giant collector's edition box. It's there. No one can see for that. Those, for those, it, 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 <laughs> those it, it, who are it, just it, listening, which is all of you, there at is the time a of the recording of, yeah. of the game, collector's edition with the statue. It's yeah. a pretty fancy collector's edition. It's a huge statue. But yeah, you know, you know the, the funny thing about Sonic Mania for me, at least, like, I was so dismissive of this game for so long. Like, anyone who listens to us regularly, who's been listening to the show since they announced Mania and Forces, which are kind of in tandem, like, they, they've heard me talk up Forces a lot more than I've ever mentioned Mania. Because, like, to me, I don't know, Mania just didn't seem interesting. Like, both times I've demoed it before, both times I demoed it before it came out, there were two times. Um, one was at E3, one was back at the Switch preview event in March. Both times I played green hill zone the first stage and it was just like all right th- this is sonic like it's nothing special it's very familiar like i mean let's be honest how many times in a side scrolling sonic game do you start with green hill zone how many times have you played green hill zone like i feel like every sonic of every variety you always start on green hill zone so when i did the demo it's just like okay it's green hill zone right like can you name a single not counting sonic advance which is its own weird offshoot can you name a single side scrolling sonic that did not start on green hill zone Side-scrolling Sonic games? Yeah, they all start on Green Hill Zone. Sonic 2 and Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles? Never mind. <laughs> the only, no, one, but, no, the only ones that started with Green Hill Zone... All that, the, like, that, throwbacky that, ones. That gave that impression was... Because um, after, obviously, Sonic 1, Sonic Generations had a Green Hill Zone, and Sonic Forces had a Green Hill Zone, and Sonic Mania had a Green Hill Zone. And Sonic... Literally, those own, those are it. Sonic the Hedgehog 4 had a Green Hill Zone. Episode Did it? 1. Yep. That's oh. where you start. So like I guess no I, should, I, should, I, should, I should reframe what I was saying. All the like no throwback, <laughs> all the throwback Sonics have the Green Hill Zone. Not the actual throwback, not the actual old Sonics. The throwback new Sonics that kind of feel like the old Sonic start with Green Hill Zone. I think it's also just because those games didn't come out that long enough from each that other. That too. I mean, that too. Because I mean, I played Sonic Generations on the PS3 and the 3DS, which both had a Green Hill Green Zone. Green Hill Zone, right? Yeah. But yeah, so my point is like, so I played the demo of Mania at the at E3 at the preview Switch event back in March, and both times it's Green Hill Zone. I kind of have this takeaway where like I know what Sonic Mania is about. Like I know this is a game where Sega essentially handed over the reins to a bunch of fans who made hacked ROMs and, pre- and made previous ports of like the Genesis game onto iPhone and whatnot. And, you know, there's fans. 
and now they're getting a chance to make a new Sonic game, and I knew this was their opportunity to like do kind of this best of compilation where it's like Sonic one two three and CD all sort of put into one game together. You get the highlights and everything, like a greatest hits album basically of Sonic. And what I didn't realize, and now I'm happy to say I was wrong about, is that it's not really a best of or a greatest hits. It's more like a remix album. It's less like here's Sonic stuff you remember, and more like we sampled Sonic things that you remember and then created this whole new concoction out of them. Like, the way... To kind of give it a little more context here, like, the way Sonic Mania split up is kind of clever in that, like, you know, every Sonic game you have a, um, a different zone is divided into multiple acts, right? So with Sonic Mania, it starts like an act one where you kind of have more of that best of greatest hits vibe. So you go into Green Hill Zone... And you know the basics of it, but since it's a best of, maybe, like, you're fighting Sonic 1 enemies as you zip around. And then when you get to the end, oh, surprise, it's the Sonic 2 boss. What a twist. Like, that's sort of, like, they just cherry-pick what works. But then when you get to Act 2 of a, of some of the, of the zones, like, for example, uh, Chemical Plant Zone, then they start to kind of take the familiar pieces but throw it together in all these different new ways where it feels more remixy and less just like oh remember this which is what i thought the game only was or it turned out it's actually these more deep remix experiences like in in chemical plant zone like i was starting to say um the toxic liquid every sonic game that had chemical plant zone that was toxic in this one you hit this giant syringe it injects into the liquid like you bounce on it and then the toxic liquid that was bad is now crucial to getting to the next part of the level because it turns out it becomes a bouncy surface and you have to jump off it to reach the next parts or branching parts or whatever of any given level. So they kind of take what you expect and flip it on its head a little. I mean, it's a minor thing, but it kind of, I think, embodies what they do in Mania a lot, just that sort of thing. So basically... As the game continues on, you start to see that they do less and less of the, like, oh, hey, it's this enemy, but in this setting. How crazy. And they do more and more of, like, what if we kind of mess with your expectations a little? What if we take these ideas and elements and throw them into new things? At one point, they basically switch over to new zones entirely, full of old things you recognize. Like, here's a thing from Sonic CD. Here's a thing from Sonic 3. Here's a bonus game from Sonic 3 that appears next to a thing you normally see in CD. Like, they just sort of mash it all together in this different way where it's not so much this best of, but it really feels like a remix because like, a remix essentially at the end of the day is like something you know but presented in a new implementation or a new integration or like some new way and that's kind of what mania becomes and what's great about it at least from my, my time playing it is like the devs pull it off so well like the level design is super solid there's lots of crazy clever so ideas like sonic generations but for pixelated 2d sonic essentially because they did it definitely changed a lot of things from the, even the 3D Sonic levels to kind of incorporate it with the boost mechanic. It's essentially like, like that, except they're not really changing mechanic. Like, they're not... I feel like it's less the mechanical stuff and more just, like, all these winks and nods and nudges. Well, and No, yeah, I mean, it feels like this one kind of goes more above me- and beyond. It's more like, like in City Escape, like, at the end, like, you're getting chased by the truck. And, yeah. like, in the first one, you just run away from it, nothing really happens. But in the new one, like, it starts growing like jet rockets and thaws and like it goes crazy on you yeah it's it just through. like they had fun with it and then you're running like on the side of a building and it goes like super crazy and you're like whoa what's going on yeah like like literally one of my favorite things in Sonic Mania kind of going with that whole like what is this this is nuts is like the uh the way to integrate Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine which is you know a spin-off puzzle game that was just Sonic skin for the sake of selling Poyo Poyo to America right and um for those listening skip ahead about 45 seconds in this recording if you don't want to know the spoiler but essentially giving them a chance to skip 
Okay, essentially, the they turn the Chemical Plant Zone boss fight into a one-on-one Mean Bean Machine puzzle match. Like, they make it where you just sort of... You're going through a series of tubes, they just dump Sonic into the control module for Mean Bean Machine. There's Robotnik on the other side, and you're just playing Mean Bean Machine. They don't explain how it works. They don't go like, this is a puzzle game, and this thing, seeing you do this, you know, now you do this thing. It's just like, you're playing it, and it's this cool little surprise that just sort of naturally flows with the rest of Chemical Plant Zone, and it's it was just really cool. It's like a little reference just thrown in there, but it was like really clever how they did and sort of catch you off guard, and it fits the theme of the level. Like it was just it was really well done. So it is kind of like what you're saying with like, oh, here's the city escape, but now the truck's crazy. It's like, oh, here's a Sonic boss fight, but just kidding. It's actually that other puzzle game that we made in like 1994. Gotcha. So just just the way they mash it together, and like the it's not just I sort of alluded to this already, but there's also all these like winks and nods and things to different game gameplay elements and ideas over time. Like some are more overt, some are more subtle. Like they do stuff like this is a really obvious one, but. Hey, you want to play where it looks like an old CRT TV? There's a filter that you just turn on, and the whole game has a little scan line, soft edge thing going on. So there, that's obviously one of the more overt ones. But then there's some more subtle ones, like this one I haven't actually seen myself, but uh, I saw it online. Sonic's 25th anniversary had a live stream a couple years ago, and that live stream had all sorts of technical difficulties. And Sonic diehards know well what I'm talking about. It was bad. The whole live stream, there's this constant hum in the background, like things are just not working. It was pretty much a disaster. And there's actually a reference to it in the game, complete with the hum from the live stream, the really annoying, like, hmm, that was going in the background of the live stream. That's in one little part of the game, just kind of tucked away there. Or, like, there's the Knuckles and Knuckles, or the Knuck and Knuckles meme, which they turned into a full cheat code mode of sorts called Knuckles and Knuckles, where instead of Sonic and Tails or whatever, it's two Knuckles. So you're just playing Knuckles and Knuckles. So, like, there's all just the layers of this. Like, you still have Core Sonic, but you also have this kind of crazier, weirder stuff. So, I guess, I guess the point is, at the end of the day, it's basically Sonic kind of turned on its head. But you get the sense that it's a true passion passion project for, like, the people that made it. Like, you could tell that they knew what they were doing and they are really diehard fans. Because it's not like it's not like Sega hasn't tried this before. Some They've done a lot of 2D Sonic. Some work out better than others. Like, I'd say Sonic Advanced series turned out pretty well but yeah. it's a little different but then you look at like Sonic the Hedgehog 4 and it's three episodes well, and I that mean, was met with very mixed reception by fans well, I mean I think like Sega always tried to I guess make the most out of the hardware I mean for better or worse like I mean yeah. Sonic Advance was well received I mean I love Sonic Advance and so they good. went then they went Sonic Rush which was still well received mm-hmm. it was just different because mm-hmm. it did boost mechanic on 2D which is cool but after that they just never really tried to go back to 2D like even Sonic Generations was still it was like New Super Mario Brothers. Well, that's what they're Sonic. trying to capture. But the thing is, Sonic doesn't necessarily need yeah, that. Like so they, they, so they like leave it to external eyes. I guess they got tunnel vision. They got um, tunnel vision, and they got obsessed. I feel like with this idea of you gotta go fast. Like it became more about pure speed and nothing else. And then they turn it over to these fans who like have made Sonic hacks forever and know the ins and outs of every Sonic game, and are just like, all right, you guys try, and it worked. It worked really well. Like they mixed in just enough nostalgia and familiarity they extended it with some new ideas gameplay ideas that don't like i don't think they fully like turn the game upside down or anything but they're just enough that it feels kind of fresh and different and toys with your expectation but it still feels like true sonic you know what i mean and they do all that and they like package all that so nicely in this presentation but it just feels like right like even the music's really good like they they really nail it so so yeah i'm pretty happy with the game i think it's worth the uh, acclaim it's been getting now the thing is, for those of you out there who aren't... So you have Sonic Mania? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was going to say is not everyone will. Because for those of you out there who aren't 
as big of Sonic fans. The thing is, Mania... Jason got it. Well, no, 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 but I like Sonic games. I'm just not obsessed with them. My point is, if you didn't like 2D Sonic for one reason or another, Mania is trying to recapture the feel of classic 2D Sonic. There's nothing here that's going to change your mind. There's nothing here that's going to suddenly make you a fan. This is caring to people that know they like 2D Sonic. Because the reason I bring this up is, and it's actually kind of a funny thing, is that there is this 20-page thread on NeoGAF. Now, NeoGAF is one of the biggest, most, like, insidery gaming forums there is. It's full of people from the industry and, like, the most, like, diehard, hardcore, true-to-gaming gamers you can imagine. And there's a 20-page thread, like I said on there, where people are trying to figure out the question of how do you actually play a Sonic game? Which, on the surface, sounds like a completely silly, ridiculous question because, you know, it's been out since, what, 1991? Is that when the first one came out? 91, 92? You would think people know how to play sonic it's sold millions of copies it rivals mario you would you know it, how's that a question but then i was reading through the thread and i was like huh some interesting points are actually being raised here like the argument goes like this i don't know if i fully agree with it but the argument goes like this sonic is weird if you think about it like because what you have going on is you have a game that encourages you to go as fast as you can it literally plays itself at times as it kind of, you know, like as it's slinging you around ramp to ramp, loop to loop, it's running itself like half the time. And then at the same time, they're also trying to get you to explore things, which in theory you would need to go slow for to go through multiple, multiple, multiple trips of going fast and hope that you just trip into the correct alternate path or something. And that doesn't really work because like if you're encouraged to find every ring every bonus stage every chaos emerald you need to be able to get your bearings but the game's whole hook supposedly is you can't get your bearings because you're too busy gago fasting through every single level all the time you know so it's almost like the argument goes that while it does add replay by because you keep going over and over it's almost like there are these two halves of a whole that is the sonic game and they're at odds with each with each other every time you play it so that's the pitch. That's the thing that lets this huge debate. I could see some value in it and kind of where they're coming from. I don't know if I fully agree with it, but I'm kind of curious because you, Angel, play Sonic significantly more than I do and have much bigger back history with it than I do. What's your take on this whole theory? Do you think they're being ridiculous? I guess a little. I don't know. I mean, to, I mean, if they just mean Sonic in general, I'm, I'm sure they mean maybe 2D Sonic. I should clarify. They mean 2D Sonic, yes. Yeah, because... I, in the context of like Sonic Mania. So 2D Sonic. Yeah, because I mean... I don't know. I guess I never really thought 2D Sonic as a game that emphasized speed. I always just thought of it as a game that was just, like, platforming where the character, I guess, like... Goes fast. Yeah, it's advertised to go fast, yeah. but I never thought of the game as a game where you have to, like, run super fast because I felt the game never really let you go really fast. It's, it, it's true. I feel like it makes ones. you go... I feel like, um... Yeah. Like, because I've, I've played through the first three, like, all... Like, no, I mean, I'm saying what, what you're saying is true in the 2D yeah. ones. It does... There are stops. Yeah, like, like, very clear stops. And, like, very often, like, you maybe like probably where it feels like you're about to go like max speed they stop you like you either hit a wall or a bumper that sends you straight up and then you have to go through more platforming yeah, like, I, like it felt very i don't know like i almost think feel like sonic games were i always thought of them as like pretty slow in general just like look around find the you have to stuff. admit as sonic as sega tried to it, it wasn't until the 3d sonic that they actually tried to emphasize speed and then they yeah. brought in the booth mechanic and they're like all right we're but completely the, switching courses yeah. and then they went backwards into 2d and made because like sonic rush it's in the name sonic rush adventure oh, yeah, that's like, all those yeah, they, yeah, they, they sort of went yeah, the other well, way <laughs> that's it for that one yeah that one isn't even so much exploring as it is you have to go as fast as you can and react quickly to all the the highest routes possible 
mm-hmm. because the highest routes are usually the most difficult to get, which is where you can get all the, I guess, the red rings. It's usually red rings that you have to collect in each right. level. So it just became a matter of finding those routes and, I guess, reacting really fast, which right. makes sense because that's what they were steering Sonic towards. But the old ones, I always thought of them as almost a different than Mario, just with weird physics. Well, that's the thing, though, is to me it is kind of different than Mario. Like, to be fair, I don't have an issue with Sonic games personally. Like, the people are like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, I've somehow managed to play through Sonic games, no problem. I'm enjoying Mania. I just raved about how fun I think Mania is. Like, I get it. But, like, to me, I just find it interesting from, like, almost a gameplay design philosophy of, like, that is true in that it does, in a way, at least in how they market it and in how they pitch it on a surface level, kind of contradict, it, it like, undermines its own goals slightly in a, like, sort of, like, heady sort of, like, thinking about it sort of way. When you're playing it, you're fine. But if you stop and go, the game's encouraging you to go fast, the game's encouraging you to, like, constantly be on the move, it's kind of like, well, then how do you know where the path split? How do you know where that hidden ring is if you don't see it because you're zipping past very fast? Like, the way I've always viewed Sonic is that it's, like, horizontal pinball more than anything else. Like, you set things in motion, you see what happens... And then you just kind of go with it. Like, I mean, like, Chemical Plant uh, Zone from Sonic Mania. Let's go back to that example, because I keep saying it anyway. There are parts in that level, and this is true in the old Chemical Plants and the old Sonic games, too, where you're running down a ramp through a loop, you're sent into a tube, the tube takes you any which way, you don't know where the tube's going. All you're sort of doing is, like in Pinball, taking the actions that lead you to the automated things that then happen like with pinball you hit the flipper when the ball comes to you and then where it goes yeah you have a little control based on how you angle the flipper but what you're really controlling i guess is the momentum in a way like you're controlling how the ball moves forward not where it goes per se which it almost feels like that's what sonic is it's not i think where people are getting hung up maybe on neogaf is it's not the speed it's the momentum like you do need to pick up extra momentum to reach higher places you do it is kind of like you can hop over some of those stops they put in place because you want to keep your momentum going to go to something else somewhere else in the stage. So that that's my take, at least. It's like it's not. I don't think it's conflicting in a super serious, like negative way. But there is certainly something where, like, the faster you go, the more momentum you pick up. You're going to see different things than if you do stop and explore, like you were saying you do, because it does try and stop you a lot. But you can also hop those stops. You can jump into a ramp. Yeah, I mean, below people you. speed run these things all the yeah. time, and. So I think it's I feel a momentum like, question, not a speed question. I feel, I think, and I feel like this yeah, is awesome if I, just from a game design standpoint because they basically designed this game to encourage or choose both. It's almost like a Breath of the Wild kind of situation. Do mm-hmm. you want to explore and like get every in and out of the levels or do you just want to go fast and get to the ending if that's possible? Right. I mean, you and can then, literally and, do both. And again, that kind of falls into momentum because it's like, do you try and keep up the pace or are you slowing yourself down like it's not so much a top speed as it is gaining it's like the flow of it i don't know how better describe it but to bring it all back to sonic mania specifically i think that may be why i like the game's design so much like why i think the game's so good uh level design wise is the developers understand that even if Sonic's pitching itself as you gotta go fast, you gotta go fast, you gotta keep moving, that's ultimately not what it's about. I mean, you as someone who's played Sonic Forever just kind of said that. I'm starting to now realize that the momentum thing, it is kind of the how you proceed through the level and how the ramps and the loops and the tubes take you where you go. Yes, the tubes have a mind of their own. Yes, those are preset, but your momentum is what kind of propels you into those circumstances. So it is more on you than it is on the game. Thus, the design does work and i think 
Sonic Rush, Sonic the Hedgehog 4, those it became more... Well, Sonic Rush outright was about speed, but in those it became more about just top speed and less about flow and momentum, which is where it kind of started diverting from what the good quote-unquote Sonic games that people look back fondly on and now Mania is now sort of circled back to, if that makes sense. That's my, like, hey thing. Now, I'm not saying Rush is bad. That's a totally different mindset. But some people are like, this isn't true Sonic. It's all about, like, just speedrunning, essentially. You know what I mean? So I think, yeah, that's, that's just kind of my two cents. But I thought it was kind of interesting, like, because Mania is really fun, and then this whole long discussion came up, and I'm like, that's kind of funny that people have that thought. So I was just trying to, like, work my way backwards through it to get where we are now, so. Which just yeah. makes it interesting. Like, what was the Wii U one trying to achieve? Because it has Well, the some, Wii U one was weird. It has so many different kinds. Of, like, you're talking about colors, right? Wii U one. Wii U. Oh, Wii U. Uh, well, I guess even the Wii one. I mean, the Wii one, like, they had the boost mode. They had, like... You, like oh, like, you mean like, Boom? Like, yes. No, not Boom. We the the first Wii U was Sonic Worlds. Mm, mm-hmm. Lost World. Lost World. That was Sega trying to piggyback off Mario Galaxy. No matter what they say, that was them trying to piggyback off. Yeah, because I mean they had like yeah, I mean it was still a good game. It was fun, something but it was just it just felt kind of off sometimes. Something happened when they turned Sonic 3D, where they for where it became less about this momentum exploration there was, there was thing no and strictly about had speed. A run button. It's about speed only, yeah. and I think I think that's what initially got me so interested in this conversation is because Sonic since 2001 basically has been about with the Dreamcast 99 with the Dreamcast has become this thing about speed but old Sonic which Mania is now the reminder of is not about speed it's about momentum so that I think Sega they got lost in their own speed marketing yeah because the marketing angle of the Sonic goes fast is always overshadowing the actual game like Mario never tried it wasn't like Mario's like hey do this one thing and then the game was totally different but what I'm now thinking as know, we talk about it is Sonic was very clear like you need to bolt through these levels you need to get through them as fast as you can but then you play it's like no you don't that's not how you play I mean like literally like just look at the the boost mechanic just the fact that like you build up like you collect rings to build up your meter and then when you press the boost like you're invincible like you just run straight I mean it looks really cool and it's the only I guess like triple A game that I know that like incorporates some sort of like super speed yeah but you don't really do anything during those times. Like it's almost like Sega did just get so caught up in it that they're just like, yeah, just like, yeah. Which is which is what's so refreshing about Mania and why I think I like it so much is it they figured out that problem they're having, or they outsourced it to developers who knew the problem they were having, and they were able to sort of push it back in the right direction and get back to what it was. Because it really does feel like old Sonic. Like when you're playing it, it's new, it has new elements, but like you feel like you're playing classic Sonic. It's a weird, like, little mind trick. Like, it's so heavy on the nostalgia that just sort of... It's familiar, yet it's not at the same time. Which I think is what my, why things like um, the surprise boss fights and the, you know, the clever little nods to fandom and whatnot. I think that's why they work so well is because they're kind of messing with your expectations because you're expecting just classic Sonic. And it's like, hey, surprise! Here's something referencing 2005 or here's something referencing something that's not Sonic. Isn't that neat? So, anyway, yeah, I would check out Sonic Mania. It's the, it's the takeaway from all this. It's worth playing. Um, now, while I was playing Sonic... You were playing a couple different games, um, Overcooked and Slime San. Slime San. San. That's San. <laughs> yeah. So, um, pick your poison. Which do you want to go first with? Um, I guess Overcooked. Okay. I did play a little of that with you, but you definitely have played way more. Yeah, we've played that a so, ton so. with almost every combination of players you could think of. And? <laughs> It's very fun. It's pretty much everything I expected it to be. So Overcooked, um, it's a it's a simplified like micromanagement game. You everyone can either you have 
the controls are really simple. You can grab things, drop things with the same button. You could chop things with one button, run, and a dash. And you have a button that allows you to curse. But it's all like in gibberish, so... Because it's ready for everyone. Yeah, exactly. But essentially, um, you just get a bunch of orders at the top of the screen, and everyone's just like rushing to try to get them done. Someone has to grab... Like, if you're making a burger, someone has to grab the bun, someone has to tenderize the meat. Then they have to cook the meat in one of the grillers, but there's only so many grillers, and then you have to watch the little timer on the grillers while someone else is like chopping the lettuce and the tomato. Then they have to get a plate. If there isn't a plate, someone has to wash the plate and get all that done before like the meter runs out because you want to make the score. I mean, as long as you get one star, which is typically really easy to do, like we've been always been able to get one star in every single stage, you can progress to the next level and just beat the game. But we've been trying to get we've been triple starring every single one and it feels really worth it like when you get like the first run you you're most you're definitely going to fail because every level has like a gimmick of some sort if it's not trying to teach you a recipe sometimes they have a street with people walking through and they're just an obstacle sometimes you're in space and you have to transport the ingredients from one section of the kitchen to the other because you and your partner are split from you and your from the other from your other partners and sometimes there's like a really crazy one there was like a we were playing in a volcano and there was and every once in a while there's like a little earthquake and it will change how the platforms are connected to each other so there's essentially four little islands and all while that's going on there's a turret firing like a never-ending stream of bullets that if you get hit it kills you and you have to wait like five what? seconds for it to respawn what is the scenario that there are chefs cooking in a volcano with a gun turret firing at them? Like, what? Everything else I can understand. You gotta eat in space, you gotta eat on a cruise ship, you gotta eat in the Arctic. I don't know how that makes any sense. <laughs> like, I know the game's not supposed to make sense. That's just absurd. Yeah, I mean, like, there's another one where, like, you're driving on the freeway and you're two food trucks connected to each other that create one giant kitchen, but every once in a while the cars kind of veer away from each other so you kind of have to wait. <laughs> for like that half of the kitchen to connect because you need something from that side of the kitchen probably the hardest ones though were there's like a haunted house area where sometimes the lights go off or sometimes like the prep area just levitates and moves to a completely different section of the kitchen and if you're not careful you could get trapped out of it so it's really just about trial and error figuring out like okay you're gonna stay in this area i'm gonna focus on this and when all the pieces are working together it feels so satisfying like it's conducting like one, a symphony it's like one of the most satisfying things it's one of the most satisfying um co-op multiplayer games i've ever played like when everything just fits and you like we get like a perfect because like we finished every single order and then no one ever bumped into each other it's just really fun then you go to the next level when you get your butt kicked and then you're like mm-hmm. all right we try it again get two stars three stars and I mean, it's pretty much the game in a nutshell. It's really simple. Every once in a while, you unlock new characters, and you could play as a cat. You could play as a raccoon in a wheelchair. That's you what can, I was. You can also play as people, but that's not fun. Um, and on top of that, so you could play with two people, three people, four people. All that really does is just change the how many points you need to get a three-star or two-star or one-star. So it just scales. But the other part that we haven't really messed too much with because we definitely prefer to play cooperatively is the competitive side where you have two people filling orders against two people that are also filling their own orders and you have separate kitchens and you're just kind of doing the same thing but 
Um, co-op is definitely where it's at. And the nice thing is that it's a pretty it's a pretty lengthy campaign, and you also get the DLC because this is definitive edition. What, what is uh, it called? Special edition. Special edition. So, I don't know, it's or is it deluxe? It's one of those. They really should have called it Overcooked Combo Number One or something like that. But oh well. Well done. <laughs> mm. Well done. That would have been it. Which I, is- I will say, when we were playing it, I thought it was really interesting how we basically mimicked a real kitchen. Like you're playing, and the thing is, you need to coordinate verbally with people because oh, you, yeah. you know, you're you're not just doing. I need with, an onion. Yeah, I need this. exactly. Because you're not just doing with like the. Someone wants the plates. Yeah, which was my job. I was dish guy. I don't know if I should be insulted or honored. I think it's an insult to be the dishwasher. I'm not sure. But anyway, what I was getting at is um, it's it's more complicated than that even than just, hey, we need more plates or, hey, we need this because they mix up the, the orders. It's not like you're getting a consistent orders that are identical every time you play, right? It's not like this guy wants a hamburger, this guy wants a hamburger, this guy wants a hamburger. It's hamburger, hamburger, hamburger with no veggies, cheeseburger, hamburger, cheeseburger, hamburger with no veggies, veggies with no hamburger. So you have to like constantly – the it shuffles what you need yeah. to do. So there, that's on top of the level navigation you have to do. So there's like two layers. And you do have to keep in mind that like if say you have, I don't know, like two plain burgers, but in between those orders, there's a bunch of other orders and you're working on one sandwich and they're working on another. Like it's going to – well, pretty much when you turn in an order, it's going to go to the most recent one. Yeah, but yeah. Oh man, I had a point, but I completely blanked out on it. Well, you think of it. I'll just say if you've ever, if for for someone that can't like visualize how this works, if you've ever played Diner Dash or seen Diner Dash, it's kind of like that, but more elaborate and co-op. Just to kind of sum it up in a single sentence. Do you remember what your point was gonna be? No. The order of food. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> but, but no, it I'll, is I'll really fun. Point. The point is that it's a it's a very good game. It works perfectly on the Switch it's because the practically. yeah the controls. I mean, they work perfectly fine with the Joy-Con split. None. Everyone I've played it with, and I've played it with a bunch of different people, like that have that are used to playing video games that are not used to playing video games, and all and no one ever complained about the controller. But yeah, it also it, works it, with the with the gamepad and the and I guess the the grip so i mean whatever you are comfortable with it all works yeah it's a, it's a good game it's it's one of those it like so it so well embodies the idea of the switch as this local multiplayer like hub yeah and i mean i mean i guess there is a there are frame rate drops sometimes but yeah, I honest, patch coming yeah but i mean i honestly never really noticed them and when i did it never really affected the gameplay like it never really bothered any of us the only person it bothered was one of our friends that is used to seeing all his games in 60 frames per second. But, I mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's not like this is a first-person shooter or something. Yeah, and honestly, I I play it with you for like, what, 45 minutes to an hour or something? Yeah, like that. And I did not notice a single frame yeah, drop, but also I never do. So. Or, or just the fact that it's like running at 30 instead of 60. Like you, you just get used to it. It's no different than like going from 60 in Mario Kart 8, and then you do four-screen multiplayer and then it goes to like the third. Okay, honestly that one I do know. No 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 that's no, 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 like the like the first race after sixty you you really notice like it feels significantly different. Yeah. But after like two or three, I can't honestly tell the difference. Like I just forget. That's true. Like yeah. you just adapt to it. That's pretty much it. So a recommendation for for overcooked cooked? Yeah. How yeah. about slime sand? So the game I would definitely get. Slime sand. Slime sand is interesting. I I mean that's that game definitely caught my attention just just from the way it looks, it just straight up looked like 
something Edwin McMillan would make, which is the guy that is responsible for Super Meat Boy the, and the recent The End Is Nigh. Just because it's a puzzle... Well, it's not a puzzle platform. It's a, a difficult platformer. It's just the... Like, well, like a single-screen platformer. You control a little character, and you're just dodging a bunch of obstacles, precision timing, and snappy controls. Like, the works. Mm-hmm. But at first, I thought it was going to be just that. And I was like, all right, well, I really... I'm looking like I love Super Meat Boy, and I was looking forward to the end of this night, but it's not on the Switch yet, and it wasn't for Mac at the time, so I needed something to hold me over. And like this game, like looked perfect, but what this game actually does a lot different from both of those, and it does a few things that separates itself from all like the McMillan games, just because it has a lot of charm and personality. Like I just love the the art style. Takes some time to get used to, just because it is a little different. It's green. I think it's only three colors, like pink, green, and white. Reminds oh. me of a chalkboard. I don't know if that's intentional, but it reminds me of like chalkboard art, and I think that's really like that caught my eye as soon as I saw it for the first time. I was like that is really different and cool. Like I don't know, I liked it from the start, but obviously teach their own on that. Yeah, I mean, essentially the game. Um, I mean, it has a premise of a simple one, but it's actually kind of unique. Um, essentially your character Slime Sand, he is eaten by a giant worm. And you're going from level to level. And what's cool is that each level is made up of four other levels. So you go through those levels back to back with like little quick little transitions in between. And you're pretty much just trying to get to the end. And every single level has an apple that you could collect that usually requires you to do a little dangerous maneuver to try to get it. And then you just complete the four levels, go to the next one, get your score. Some levels have secret areas like secret shortcuts. And every once in a while, you get, like, little cutscenes, so to speak. Well, I guess you enter different environments. Like, sometimes you find a hot spring and you interact with some characters because you're inside a giant worm. Like, a very giant worm where, essentially, people have developed civilizations inside that worm. because Wait, the whole game takes place in a worm? Yeah. Huh. (laughs) Like, you start pretty much in the lower intestine. Or the large intestine. This part of it, <laughs> like if you look at the 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 menu select screen, like the first level, like you literally see like the end of the worm, like it literally zigzags, and you can see like the worm pooting every once in a while. Right. And as you get lower and lower, you see more of the worm, and you encounter different characters, like different sections of the worm. There's like huh. an entire city. Like what's cool is that you earn money, which are your apples that you could use to buy things for your character, like cosmetic changes you could also buy different characters which are like slime sans family that you could get one that wait you buy his family <laughs> well they're just like no i, I know they're characters. i mean they, they change the attributes of it because um unlike i mean meat boy and the end of the day, they each have their own mechanics and this one is no different like this one has like you get a you get a double jump and you get a dash like a airborne dash that you could use in any direction and that did take me some time to get used to because I have to use the shoulder button to do my dash. And then I guess you just jump with A. But it has another mechanic that's very unique to this one where I guess you... Well, you turn clear, which allows you to go through green slime because your character is green. So Mm -hmm. if you see something that's green and you press this button that turns you, I guess, invisible or clear, you get to go through it or phase through it. But on top of that, it also slows down time. Like, just enough that it makes doing a lot of the trickier platforming a lot easier but not so much that it makes it totally easy at that that mechanic did i feel like does make the game significantly easier like there were some parts that 
if it, if it wasn't for the slow-mo, I feel like I would have struggled a lot more in them. Like, I would eventually beat them, but they're... I don't know. It, it feels like it's a easy crutch, I guess. Mm. But the way the levels are designed, like, they they still make it plenty hard, even with the, the slowdown, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. I just like the fact that it just has that mechanic, and then um, on top of that, you have these red enemies that you can't face through, then you have to watch for same-colored enemies that you... Like, the green ones are friendly. You can bounce on them. Sometimes you go in the water. You have, like, swimming mechanics, too. It's... That sounds like a deeper know, version it, of, like, the Twitch one-screen, like, platformers. Like, there seems to be a lot more layers to this one. Yeah, this one has a lot. Which is I would a say plus, it, I would say. I think, yeah, I would say it actually has more layers than Super Meat Boy. Super Meat Boy was definitely more of a, like, we're just going to give you a really, like, they were just trying to be as challenging as possible. Like, just a game that's just trying to be pure challenging. This one, I felt like, took off some of the challenge just to mm-hmm. make it a little more fun. I mean... Make it more accessible. Almost, yeah, I, I guess a little more accessible, but I mean, I found myself, like, just enjoying the atmosphere of the game a lot more just because, like, they sprinkle in, like, so much, like, dialogue in between and, like... I don't know. There was this thing about it that just, like kind of makes you smile like as you're playing like it's huh. just yeah it's, it's just funny and for some reason um a lot of the birds in the game there's birds inside the worm that are just named after random celebrities like macaulay culkin and bill macaulay i mean bill bill yeah bill macaulay wait 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 wait, wait. Like did, bill they, did they go to the man nintendo school of bad puns and i mean no. those, those sound like episode titles of our show practically <laughs> like we that's our level of punnery but wait oh, why, why are there birds in the Shouldn't there be worms in the birds, not birds in the worm? There's also worms in the bird. I mean, there's also worms in the worm. Like, yeah, but how are there birds in the worm? Worms are eaten them. by birds, not the other way around. This, this That's is a, crazy. This is a huge worm. This That's is the, we're, all we're, we're, right. We're talking like... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm just... Size of a city worm. Yeah, I don't know why I'm questioning this, because a city of worms makes no more or less sense than a bird in a worm. I mean, yet, we're controlling a, a piece of slime. That's true. And interesting, like, for unlockables, you actually get to buy games that are nothing like what the current game was like um Wait, what do you mean well i guess when you find these secret levels you get coins that like, coins are a separate collectible and for five coins you could buy these different games at an arcade and like one of them is like a a top-down shooter like 1945 i think it's the game except you're controlling like an anime samurai girl looking Character is the shoot. art style totally different? Too? It's completely different. It's like co- it's, huh. a, it's like in full color. It looks like something you would find in like an arcade cabinet. Oh, and then there's also like a like an action RPG that you could buy. And then there's also like I guess a variation of Pong. You can also buy like there's a lot just of in depth there. in this thing. It yeah, and then on top of that you have like you can go for time. Like they have little time trials, and then there's also like a dojo where they have like hit the target practice, which is really cool. Like. The game just has a ton of stuff in it. Like, way more than I would have ever expected. And then on top of that, I think it's getting free DLC. Like, it is. Like, Enter the Kraken or something like that. I don't know. I, yeah, just after playing it for a while, I became, like, a pretty big fan of it. Just really liked it. So while you were talking about it, I looked up the price. Because, like, this sounds, like, really... It's $12. That yeah. seems, for what you're describing, that seems like a lot for a little. That's a steal, honestly. Because there are games like this game sounds like I mean, it's just to compare it with Sonic Mania because that's twenty dollars. This sounds like it has significantly more meat on the bones this week than Sonic, but is yeah, much I mean, cheaper. 
I mean, especially if um if you are a fan of just like twitchy platform games like this one will definitely satisfy you especially like i mean like me like i'm waiting i mean the end of night did just come out for mac like this week mm-hmm. but i would rather play it on the switch so oh. it's a nice yeah it's a nice holdover because and, and i shouldn't even say that just because like it's a really good game on its own but like it does fill that hole that i do eventually want filled with more of these types of games on the switch so this one the end of night eventually super meat boy confirmed for switch yeah, like, there'll be a nice collection just of, like, these types of platformer games. Because I love these types of platformer right. games. Right, and I mean, that works in that works in Slime Sam's favor, too, because um, people that maybe get into the genre through Meat Boy or End is Nigh will now circle back around looking for others and find yeah, this. Yeah, and it's cool because, like, all three of them, like, they're all, like, the same at a glance. They all look the same kind of at a glance. Definitely not aesthetically wise. They all look completely Gameplay different. wise. Gameplay wise, they look yeah. pretty similar. Oh, yeah, aesthetics, they're all, all over the map. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, they, they all have, like, their own, like, unique hooks and everything. It, right. It's really cool. Like, I definitely recommend this one. This one, yeah, it's just so different. Yeah, it's just really I different. love the art style. I know I said that at the top when we were first Yeah, it, that, it really, so cool. it really stands out. And, yeah, typically, like, I have been a little jaded by, I guess, either 8-bit-looking games or, like, the 2D art. Yeah. 2D exercise Size-growing 2D. But, indie. but the type, but the gameplay was what kind of, like, made me more curious than anything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. That's that's cool. That's so good. Like that's one of the ones that like it came out. I don't remember what it came out with, but it came out the same week as some other like higher profile stuff, and just kind of got I want to say buried, but it did not get the attention it sounds like it deserves. Yep. So, and I feel like Overcooked suffered from a similar fate, where it kind of got thrown out there with some other eShop games. And just, yeah, like, the only got reason buried. I knew about Overcooked was just because of that. Well, double. Um, a friend of ours that kept has brought it up a, f- a couple of times because it came out a long time ago and I was just always curious about it because it's a right. co-op multiplayer game like why wouldn't I get it like at least Overcooked Nintendo I think stuck in one of their indie directs but Slime Sand did not really get much push from Nintendo which yeah. it sounds like it's a bummer yeah I mean the only reason I knew about it in the beginning was because I saw a trailer for it at the eShop just because right. I like well not even a trailer like just images and stuff right like what is this kind of like Bull Boy like I would have never heard of that game if I don't randomly peruse the eShop once in a while yeah, Nintendo's do a better job marketing. I mean, we'll talk about that a little later. Um, I do want to talk about one more game I've been playing first, and then we'll bring up the whole Nintendo is dropping the ball and promoting things. And um, now this one, this one is for 3DS. I feel like we've spent a lot of time talking about Switch's eShop, and I don't want to neglect what I think is the hidden gem of Nintendo's summer lineup, and that is Kirby's Blowout Blast, which is not getting nearly as much love as it deserves, it's which is sad. Because it it's being it yeah sure I don't know which way that pun would work if it's positive or negative. A blowout <laughs> usually is when you like win against someone else, but who are they blowing out? Who's Kirby blowing out? I don't hey know. Hey Pikmin. I get, yeah. Well, Hey Pikmin kind of bombed, but yeah, I guess so. Um, there you go. But yeah, there we go. It's just like it's weird because like this game Kirby's Blowout Blast did not even get a review from IGN. Like this game's being completely ignored on so many levels. Which I, I telling you is blasphemous because it's a very good, albeit short, game. Like I, I guess I kind of understand why it's been so short that you beat it. I'm well on my way. Well, the main game's really short and easy, but then you unlock harder stuff that is. Did you see the credits? Hard. You're, no. well, you're well on your way. I'm well on my way. All right. But no, I was gonna say that uh, like I kind of understand maybe why it got glossed over. Um, like having now played it. I sort of get like structurally it's very much like a uh, smartphone game in fact I would say if it wasn't for need of the physical controls it would be a perfect smartphone game but you kind of need the analog to aim Kirby and whatnot. but basically the game's divided into levels you select from a menu 
Those levels in of themselves are more like individual worlds, each of which has multiple stages within it. And then um, those stages are all ranked by like a high score system, and that's pretty much it. It's like the Angry Birds interface, kind of. Although, actually, the better analogy now I think about it, it kind of reminds me of Super Monkey Ball, in that like each set of stages are part of a bigger world, and they're just kind of floating in space. And you go through them as your little guy, and you do your thing, and then you move on to the next one, and you just kind of make your way down the road, Monkey Ball style. But, but anyway, once you're on these stages, the gameplay itself is very simple. You walk around, it's kind of like an isometric view, uh, you're sucking up enemies, you're then spitting out the enemies at other enemies, and the more enemies you suck up and or hit with those you already inhaled, uh, the higher the quote-unquote combo score you get is, and then the more points you get. So ultimately what you're trying to do is get a high score. Um, again, very much like a smartphone game, you're ranked on high performance level and you want to try and get the highest ranking possible. So you can go up to like platinum, and in order to get that platinum ranking, you actually need to meet four smaller goals, which give you smaller medals and smaller like achievements that then give you more points. And those goals are taking no damage, clearing all enemies, collecting all coins, and just getting through it as fast as you can. So you want to try and basically perfect every level in order to get the maximum high score to then unlock more stuff down the road. And these levels are short. Again, much like a smartphone game, they are very short. It's only a few minutes at most to get through a level. I would say they're so short that um, Kirby doesn't even get his full, his full victory dance. You know in every Kirby game when you beat a level and Kirby spends about 5 seconds dancing and prancing around. Sometimes there's like 12 of him doing it. Sometimes 3, sometimes 1. In this game, Kirby's dance animations are about 3 frames. That's it. That's how short these levels are. They don't have time for him to dance. They just have time for him to kind of flail for a second. Um, and, and really that's all there is to it. Like you go through these levels, you suck up enemies, you spin them out, and you get a high score and at first it may feel kind of bare bones to some to me it had kind of a score attack pickup and playness that was um that i thought was kind of cool and worked pretty well it's actually in a way reminiscent of the old kirby's dreamland like the original on game boy because uh much like in that there are no copy abilities there's just inhaling exhaling floating when you're jumping and you could beat it in one sitting and you could beat it pretty quickly <laughs> Yeah, because I remember yes, Kirby's Dream Dreamland was, was short. Yeah, it was it's like basically an hour. like it took Dreamland kind of put it into a 3D space, like a little diorama almost. Um, but what's fun about this and what gets better, because it sounds very bare bones, I'm sure, is that as you progress through the game, you actually realize it's not like Dreamland. It feels like Dreamland first, but in reality, there's some hidden depth in here because it's not really just a platformer in a little diorama. It's actually more of a rapid fire puzzle. Where you have to kind of figure out how to best maximize your enemy combos, especially when the game starts throwing them into weird, like vertical things. Like you get into stages where there's stairs and other verticality, and you now have to suck up enemies, figure out which level of the vertical spot is the right place to shoot them out, what combo to shoot at which. Like there's this whole lock mechanic you can do if you hold down the shoulder button when you um, inhale enemies to shoot the enemies back out. And if you're holding down the button, it kind of brings up this almost like bowling game interface. Like it reminds me of Wii Sports where you have like. Kirby's facing a direction, you have an arrow in front of him, and while you hold down the shoulder, the analog stick kind of swivels him, almost like a gun turret or something. And you line up exactly where you want to fire the enemies, and then once it's lined up, which often will line up with rows of enemies coming at you, you fire, you get the maximum number of combos. Or, yeah, maximum combo, I guess is the better way to say that. So, um, if you succeed at getting these high scores... That's when things get really intense because then you unlock this entire new set of EX stages, as they call them, which are set in the same themes as the regular stages. So it's like, you know, level one and it's four stages, and you got level one EX and it's four stages. But they're at night now, which means apparently there's a lot more enemies because I guess enemies come out at night. 
and the level the individual stage layouts are completely different the enemies are there in much higher quantities and much more elaborate placements and it's just significantly harder and the only way to get all these ex stages is to get gold medal or higher in the regular stages so there is kind of a feedback loop of you want to do well in regular you want to get high scores because they get ex and if you do well on ex you eventually unlock another special one called uh, secret path which is even harder and that's how you like truly beat the game because frankly the regular stages are somewhat easy yeah there's little tricks to figuring out the best way to line up enemies to maximize your combo you want to know okay if i there's five ways of enemies coming right now if i inhale this one here and shoot him there is that gonna be better than if i inhale three over there and shoot him back this way on the next one after that like that's kind of the thing you have to think about and you go through it multiple times and play it over and over and kind of figure out the best strategy you get the high score it's like angry birds in that regard except kirby's launching him out of his mouth instead of from a slingshot i guess but um but yeah and 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 the way like it starts out kind of easy and then the ex and the secret path or ramp it ramp it up it reminds me a lot of in mario 3d land or 3d world where you can beat the main game pretty simply you're like well that was easy and then it's like oh wait there's a whole second half of the game and that's significantly more challenging that's kind of what these ex stages are like as a comparison point love when they do that uh yeah it's it's a cool touch um but what's nice about blow up blast is even though it does all this it still feels very kirby throughout the whole thing like at least to me like each stage or each level the final stage is a boss battle that actually is a classic kirby enemy kind of adapted from 2d kirby into these this new it's 3d classic space. the same bosses in every single kirby game no hey, matter what. hey they brought back uh lolo and lala they haven't had them in a while. When's the last time you saw Lolo and Lala? I know. They have in Triple Deluxe, but this game's based on Triple Deluxe, so that doesn't really count. But I don't think Lolo and Lala have been in many others. Or not Triple Deluxe, Planet Robobot is what I meant. But they do have that giant eye that I don't remember the name of that shoots lightning bolts. Cracko? Yes, and they do have King DDD. So yeah, there are some familiar faces. But what's cool is they basically take their powers that we're used to seeing in the 2D Kirby's and they map them in a way that makes sense in this 3D space. So like Krako, his lightning isn't just like it just like comes out and hits you. It's like these little items that like float around that you have to dodge and stuff. Like it's it they adapt it in a way that makes sense and still feels kind of Kirby y. Um and actually the the thing that really sort of caught my eye, or not caught my eye, but kind of was noteworthy to me, is the game just looks like Kirby. Like it's so vibrant, it's so colorful. Most games these days on 3DS, when I'm playing them, I'm like, I kind of wish this was in HD on the Switch. Like, I feel like the lower res and the, you know, they try and do overly complicated geometry and whatnot. It doesn't always work, but this looks great. This really pops on on the 3DS. Like, I have no problem with this. Like, the art style transition, like, taking the flat 2D side-scrolling Kirby and just kind of putting it in a diorama view worked extremely well, and it looks really crisp, and the 3D looks really good. Granted, you don't really need it for much. Like the most fancy, the fanciest 3D effect is like sometimes when you shoot an enemy towards the screen or away from the screen, they, you know, come towards you or go away from you, and that's about it. But like, it's just really, it looks really nice. And I also think it's kind of neat that um, this one only works if you have a 3DS XL or a new or a, um, a new 3DS XL or a new a new 2DS XL or a new 3DS. That's the problem with the naming scheme right there. It took me three tries to get the right <laughs> names, but. Um, yeah, it only works with this, but if you tilt the C-stick, you can actually tilt the diorama slightly and see around corners and see little hidden stickers of classic Kirby art, which is just like a little thing for the fans, I guess. But but yeah, it's um, overall, I just I just find it to be a super fun game. Like It's definitely on the short side. If You, you could probably play it through in one sitting. I basically got through like 80% of the standard game in a single sitting, 
and then I switched over to Sonic for a while. That's why I haven't finished it yet. But I'm I'm on level. I'm in the second to last one or something like that. Wow. Um. But yeah, I know. Good job, me. Yeah. Wait, are so you gonna beat it? Yeah, I just haven't had a chance to do it before we record the podcast. Oh, I had, by next episode, then it'll be like completely. By done. next episode, probably by the end of this weekend. Oh, well, this goes up on Sunday, so that's a little weird. Because yeah, probably within the next week. <laughs> Notice I just gave myself this whole seven extra days, <laughs> but or five extra days. But either way, like if if you want, if you plan to play through it and not do the high scores and not unlock everything, and you don't care about the secret path in EX, yeah, it's brief. But if you go through and it's fun, but it's brief. But if you want to go through and really play it right and do all the high scores, it is absolutely worth the seven dollars. There's, there seems to be enough. It's only there. seven dollars. It's only seven dollars, and it's very well done, and it really has that curry personality. Like I recommend checking it out. It's 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 a really fun game. Actually, of the 25th anniversary Kirby releases they're doing this year, I like it more than Team Kirby Clash Deluxe. Like that's fun too. I remember talking about that a few episodes ago, but um. This is definitely more of a true Kirby experience, like for lack of a better term. It's not necessarily like traditional Kirby. Neither of them are, but it feels more Kirby. For the lack of a traditional Kirby game? Yeah, it feels more Kirby-esque. It makes more sense with Kirby. Like Team, Cur- Team Kirby Clash I mean, Deluxe was an up. RPG, a pseudo-RPG. This is full-on like a take Kirby and spin it on Z-axis, and here you go. So, um, yeah, speaking of the 12th anniversary, though. I feel like we need to, like, before we jump back into news and get into what's coming to the eShop next, I feel like it's a good moment to maybe take a moment to talk about Kirby, because somehow he's 25 years old already, which is a little scary and jarring, because my very first video game I ever bought when I was six years old, prior to that, I never bought them, I just had access to them, but the very first game that I got for myself when I was six years old was Kirby's Dream Land 2 on Game Boy. And you're telling me that it's his 25th anniversary? That just makes me feel old. But it, it it's just, like, it's funny because now, like, we've had this debate on the show before about, like, you know, experimental Kirby games versus regular Kirby games. It's funny that my gateway into Kirby and a game that I really, really loved as a kid and still find to be really, really fun was Kirby's Dream Land 2, which is arguably one of the most traditional Kirby games there was. Granted, it had the, like, little special animal friends, which I guess kind of mixed it up, but not in a significant way. Like, it was a standard 2D side-scrolling Kirby before they got super crazy with all the different like bajillion copy abilities and all that it's just like kirby size growing mm. simple and yet yeah now here we are now my all-time favorite kirby game is kirby canvas curse which is not at all kirby i mean it, it was just so crazy when i came out because you know you have the stylus and you're like draw like you're drawing these paths and it's kind of like guiding him through this world and, and each world was a totally different art style too, yeah which is great yeah, but like, and I really love like the art style. Like each world of Canvas Curse is like a totally different art style, which is cool. Like they have the mosaic one, and the, like pointillism one. But uh, I think they had a pointillism one. Maybe that was just the mosaic one again. But <laughs> um, but my point is like Kirby's been through a lot. Like I, there's this video Nintendo UK put up where um, it was like the history of Kirby, and I forgot. Like we always talk about experimental Kirby, and to me, I always think, oh, Kirby got weird with the DS. Like from DS on canvas curse on there's like a fork where it's like normal kirby traditional kirby and then like bonkers kirby where it's like now he's uh now you control him with a pen and he's like a piece of art now he's like there's 12 of him and it's a mass attack or now it's like every single one just got weirder and weirder but it's always been weird like i didn't realize like the second kirby game ever released was a pinball kirby game the the first kirby game on super nintendo was not a dreamland of any sort or adventure or anything it was dream course which was like sort of weird actually art style wise is very similar to um kirby blow up blast but it's sort of this weird like golf kirby 
like yeah. Kirby Golf. And I love Kirby Tilt and Tumble on the Game Boy Color. Yeah, and that was that was pre obviously pre DS. That was like ninety eight or ninety nine that came out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it was just awesome. it's just funny that like I at least in my head, and that's my own doing. I'm always like, oh yeah, weird. Kirby got weird when Nintendo started getting weird control inputs. It was their outlet for control. And it's like, nope. Kirby was always like, we don't know what to do with him. He's literally a pink circle. <laughs> but I mean, well, like, what? Well, so I, I, what's your favorite Kirby game? Because like I, my first was. Dreamland Two. My favorite was Canvas Curse. Those are very different. But like, do you have like someone that's somehow in the, some one that's somehow in the middle, or are you? Damn, I don't know. I mean, I also really love Kirby's Canvas Curse, but also so really good. like Tilt and Tumble, just because that one was just so unique. Oh yeah, you but, already said that was your favorite, didn't you? I guess the better question is: So, do you have any but traditional else... Kirby you really like, or did you only gravitate Damn, I mean, towards the? No, the, no, that's definitely a traditional one. I mean, it would have to be somewhere between um. I really like Kirby's Return to Dreamland. I played the hell out of that game with, um, especially the boss rush mode, but probably Kirby's Crystal Shard because that was my first, like a 3D Kirby game. I think it was everybody's first 3D Kirby game actually. Not 3D in air quotes because like yeah, because it was still like it's still side scrolling. It was two. It was 2.5D where you have a 2D plane, but it just looks three dimensional. Right. But. Yeah, I remember being frustrated with that game in the beginning because I wanted to run in all axes, but you can't, but you get used to it, and then it was challenging, and then I love how you get to collect the hidden crystals in every level, and that made the game even more challenging, and then you have secret endings, which I guess blew my mind at the time because I didn't experience the game with a secret ending yet. I didn't play any of the like Final Fantasies in Super Nintendo, or I guess Metroid, Super Metroid had one, but... That was, regardless, that was the Not first time. Not to the same extent in, yeah, that in was your first, life. That was the first time where, like, I beat a game, and then they straight up made it apparent, like, nope, you basically didn't beat the game. There's still more work to do. And I'm like, what? That's cool. And that awesome. I have one bone to pick with Crystal Shard. I don't know why, but I also never... Also, the music was awesome. What? Also, just the music was awesome. Oh, yeah. well, Kirby music in general is just I mean, so it's always chipper. the same tunes every time, yeah. but they remix them so much that they still feel, like, very distinct. It's very Mario in that regard, because Mario reuses a lot of the same music, but usually it does it in some interesting... They, they put flourishes on it that make it very different, but then there's always that yeah. underlying da-da-da-da-da-da, or da-da-da-da-da-da, that just kind of is constantly mixed in in some way. Yeah, they always use the underground theme, but I will give Mario credit that I do love... Every single one of their one-one level themes that's always like different. Mm. Like I feel like they always do such a good job that I could. F- I feel like if that was the first song, the first Mario song ever, they would all be like as timeless as the oh, original yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Like, they just do such a good job with the one-one levels. It's and I mean, but the one-one you... music is amazing. Like the new Super Mario Brothers one, the minus the pa every five seconds in every new oh. Super Mario Brothers. I don't know. I don't mind the bot first, you know, where all the Emmys like turn to the camera and do like a little, hey! Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't mind that in the first three <laughs> times they did it, but by game number four where they do the ba, I was like, okay, just chill. Because they started doing it more and more and more. Cause like, oh, it's yeah, so new Super Mario Brothers 2 definitely had like the yeah. boss at 2.11, but... Yeah. Kirby. They turned down the bot. But yeah, Kirby, I yeah. was going to say, um, the one thing I didn't like about Crystal Shards, I don't know why, this is such a weird bone to pick, that humanoid looking painter guy his i don't know i don't remember what he was or what he did you know who i'm talking about yeah he had the beret his he, friend. he didn't have pants he didn't have legs or pants because he didn't have legs he just like his body just ended at his waist it just kind of like he it was like a, no wasn't it like a genie or something no, he had shorts did he and legs well well i haven't played since like 2000 so I'm i played this game up. recently on the wii U. did he have legs I'm like, then what am I thinking of where he didn't have legs? Because there's this, a this, little girl fairy that didn't have legs because I'm she thinking had of the girl, not the boy. Oh wait, 
Yeah, I'm I'm kind of combining them in my head. I'm looking at art <laughs> right now. I haven't looked at art of this game in like forever, but my memory of them was what is the, that? yeah. I see the legs. Hey, everyone that can't see what we're looking at, there <laughs> are legs. Um, no, but what I was gonna say is a like little fairy some, girl. I mean, she has like a dress, but she just doesn't have for legs. some reason those humanoids fairies whatever they are just it, i don't know i could not i did not like you them. so you could feel like you're playing with kirby i know i but it's just like something about it rubbed me the wrong way like kirby shouldn't have humans in it and i know they're not really humans because one has wings and one has what are apparently legs but <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't hey, know he doesn't have to be human for all we know it's just like it felt really out of place to me i don't know why like even as a kid like this is weird but besides that, Crystal Shards is fun. Also, it did, visually, it did not age particularly well. Like, if you go look oh, at yeah. the game, like, Kirby's weirdly, like, square almost. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't have the rounded polygons just yet. But it is, it is a really fun game. Um, I figured I didn't give the Game Boy ones enough, the Game Boy Advance ones enough to do. Or even the DS ones. Like, I don't buy the traditional Kirby games very much. I haven't bought Triple Deluxe. I haven't the Game Boy Advance ones a lot. Planet Robobot. Especially Amazing Mirror, because that was just, like, Metroidvania Kirby. I don't think I have a single Game Boy Advance Kirby, which, again, is super weird, because, like, Kirby was my my very first game purchase. Why'd I abandon him and only get the weird ones? Yeah, and, I mean, even then, like, um, you didn't really miss much. I mean, they're all kind of the same. And they're (laughs) amazing, like, just because, I mean, one was, like, a Metroidvania kind of game, and Nightmare in Dreamland was... Essentially, a remake of Kirby's Adventure on the NES, but with more of a the TV show aesthetic. Like the cover was literally art from the Kirby right back at your TV show. Yeah, there was that weird moment where Nintendo really tried to make Kirby happen, like with the TV show and stuff. They yeah. tried very hard, and then the show got canceled. I mean, more power to them. I got cool Kirby merchandise from it. I have a plush of Kirby in a chef's hat with hmm. a frying pan. I bet that wouldn't have existed without the cartoon, but you know. But anyway, I'm hoping they do something cool for Kirby 25th. Like, they have a third 3DS game, supposedly, coming out this winter. They haven't really said what it is or shown it, but it's going to be some sort of multiplayer-oriented Didn't Nintendo thing. release, like, a, a Street Pass puzzle of the Kirby's an- a Kirby did. anniversary? They did. It was this one, I think. Or was it, it 20th? It definitely wasn't this well, then one. It was 20th. I haven't collected, like... I haven't up. turned on Street Pass. Definitely, I haven't forever. done puzzles in, like, years. Yeah, okay, so it's the 20th. It's probably for uh, the 20th anniversary collection when Jeez. that came out. Do you believe that was five years ago? That was when the podcast first started. Oh, that's when they made that little pin that they limited to like a thousand or something, right? Or something. Yeah. I didn't get Maybe one. Less. Did you get one? Of course I did. The Club Nintendo one? Yeah. Somehow I didn't get one. Oh, that's weird. Or maybe I did. It's been a while. No, I don't remember. I didn't. I know you got the Luigi's Mansion though. Oh, the diorama? Yeah. Yeah, that thing's cool. Man, you know, Club Nintendo was so much better than my Nintendo. My Nintendo sure. But you know, didn't get the hat. Uh, yeah, I know. Because you could have had both. I know. How you could have had both. Okay. I don't know. We, I don't think we've told us on podcast. I'm talking real fast. Okay, so Club Nintendo first year, they give you if you're a platinum member or a gold member, which means you buy a lot of games. They will give you a free gift. Or you just had a yeah. I guess you still buy a lot of games, but if you had a huge backlog, you could just like. But it was the first year, so you had to buy the games at that yeah. point. Yeah. No, not for the first year. I think oh right, to, they migrate all the. You old... got to ride away for like a yeah. year or two or something. That's right. So anyway, year comes to an end. You get your prize, your reward, your whatever, and. The first, the options were, this was the year Punch-Out came out on Wii, by the way, a special second Punch-Out of sorts called Doc Brown's, not Doc Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Doc Lewis. Thank you, Doc Brown. It was a big crossover with all sorts of other things. No, um, yeah, Doc Lewis's Punch-Out, where you get to fight your trainer from Punch-Out. And that's it. And that's it. And it was like a boss fight. Or you get a, what looked like foam, but turned out to be felt, 
Um, Mario hat. They called it authentic Mario hat. Th- yes, that is what they called it. And it was freshman year of college, and we didn't know each other. Or no, it was sophomore year of college. You thought it was foam? I was an idiot because I didn't get it, clearly. Oh, you but weren't even a kid. We were sophomore, it was sophomore year of college, and these were the options. And I go, gee, my dorm won't have room for things like that. Where am I going to put a Mario hat? I'm never going to wear a Mario hat. It's made of foam because I'm a <laughs> fool. So I chose Doc. Lewis's punch out thinking at least I can play it at least it's digitally there on my system forever and always which it still is by the way um then two years later Nintendo then you get the hat yeah I got the hat and I'm like oh my god I made a huge mistake and I have mistake. Doc Lewis's thing on the yeah, Wii well, U yeah well I'm getting to that yeah <laughs> so then uh, then you get the hat I'm like ah oh, I might have made a mistake this is cool but you know what I'm the only one that has Doc Lewis's punch out it's fine no one else is gonna get it it was Club Nintendo exclusive it says Club Nintendo Platinum Prize right on the logo and then two or three or four years later, they release it anyway. Yeah. And then I'm like, so I didn't get a hat, and I not to purchase though. It was still like a Club Nintendo reward, but they but they made, made it readily it, available to made anyone it... who wanted it for a very low number of coins. Yeah, and I was just like, which is the currency on Club Nintendo, and I was just like, this this is my life. These are the choices I must live with, and I regret to this day. And I sunk into a deep depression for the remainder of college, and now here I am. The end. But how about that Kirby? Great franchise. <laughs> but yeah, it's it a very stupid choice on my part. But anyway, let's let's stop looking at the past. Be it yeah. Kirby, be it Club Nintendo. Not the first, not the last. That's true. Let, let's let's look towards the future though. Let's let's not dwell on my mistakes. Let's talk about the eShop again. Because now that we've kind of worn through the Kirby nostalgia, I think we can go back to on track with what this episode's about. Um, which is that there's a number of eShop games coming out on the horizon, and for whatever reason. We kind of touched on this when we were talking about um, Slime Sand, but for whatever reason, nobody is getting promotion for these things. Like, everyone seems to get a memo that now's the time to announce things, but no one seems to know how to get Nintendo to talk about them. And, like, what I mean is since our last episode, there have been, and I counted, 15, over 15 different indie tiles announced for Switch in the last two weeks. 15. Of those 15, a number not only were announced, but then came out. Like, we got a surprise port of Drinkbox Studios Severed. Jack, uh, Jackbox Party Pack 1 and 2, which were previously announced, were released. And they also announced Jackpack... What? Nothing you get a discount if you own 3. That's true. And they announced that Party Pack 4 is coming to the Switch later this fall. Then, over on 3DS, Reggae Kids Chicken Wiggle came out. And to me, that many games being announced, being released, 15... Feels like enough to maybe, I don't know, have a Nintendo Direct, have a Nindy Direct, have some sort of video where they're like, hey guys, here are 15 games, three or four of which are out right now. That just, it just, I don't know. The, the, it just seems dumb because the fact is like, oh, as not, like as nice as it is to see all those games get announced, they probably flew under the radar of a lot of Nintendo fans. Because unless you're the type of person who is checking Go Nintendo every single day like we do, you're not gonna know about these. They're gonna slip by. You, like I, I wish we had a way to poll everyone listening right now because I'm pretty sure, like I'm, re- I'm pretty sure people don't know. For example, Super Meat Boy was announced for Switch. Mutant Muds was announced for Switch. Forma Eight was announced for Switch. On Epic was announced for Switch. All four of those games were announced via tweets from their respective developers. They have all been on Nintendo systems before, and in all four cases, Nintendo did not do a single drop of publicity for them coming to Switch. 
even though these are four games from four developers who stuck with Nintendo through the dark ages of the Wii U. I might double dip. Right, yeah, and and like people like you might double dip, people who never got a Wii U because no one bought a Wii U in the grand scheme of things, now have these opportunities to try these games. And in the Wii U days, Nintendo's like, hey, look how great for we are to have these games. And all four of them are supposed to be quite good. I mean, uh, two of them we can attest to. I don't know about personally about Format 8 or Unepic, but I've heard good things. And yet Nintendo wouldn't even like give them a nod. It just seems weird. I don't know. It just, like you wouldn't ever know unless you happen to already follow the developer yourself, seek out the information manually, or in the case of you talking about how you first found Slime Sam, just browsing, or, or uh, Bold Boy just kind of happened to stumble across him on the eShop, which is not a good marketing strategy where you need people to just sort of trip their way into your game. So I don't know, it's just bizarre to me. Like Nintendo could have easily thrown together a sizzle reel or something and just done that. But instead, they they didn't. And what's really kind of a bummer about it is like these devs were like these devs were given so many tools to make it so easy to bring these games over in the first place. Like Nintendo for years, they're talking about how they're going to make it easier for developers, and then they do, and then they don't bother promoting them once they're easier. Like, and I mean, I mean, this isn't like Nintendo's like, oh, we made it easier. These are developers saying they made it. It is so easy now. Like, there are interviews popping up all over the place about how smooth it's been to work with Nintendo, how responsive they are, how quickly games can come over. Like, to use the Slime Sand example again, the team at, um, the developers of it at Fabraz, basically, they did an interview and they're basically saying, like, hey, it took us two or three months to bring the Switch, thanks to the Unity engine being so easy to work with. Nintendo is super responsive to our questions every step away. It was great. And then, like, you look at something like Severed, and Drinkbox Studios has gone on record that it's literally the easiest release they've ever done. Wow. So, like, they that's they just literally dropped the game out of nowhere onto Switch. Like, well, there was yeah. no pre-announcement, I mean, it was... and it was super easy for them. Yeah. So, we're at, like, it's like we're at some sort of weird inversion point in Nintendo's, like, indie world, indie relations, where... The games are plentiful, but the promotion of games has fallen to the wayside, where it used to be the other way around, where like any sort of quality indie release would get this huge push from Nintendo on the eShop and through online channels and social media and whatnot because they needed the attention. Like, remember how big of a push they gave Runner 2 or Runbow or any of those in the Wii U game, uh, Wii U days? Like, yeah, they, oh yeah, some some of them practically felt like first, first party, party games. Runbow. Yeah, because of, the, yeah. because of the push. Yeah, and now, if you're lucky... You maybe get a retweet from Nintendo America's Twitter, maybe. And then occasionally when they feel like it, they'll put out a sizzle reel, but you have no guarantee your game will get in that sizzle reel because who knows when the sizzle reel will be. Like, I don't know. It just seems like they're dropping the ball. It's mm-hmm. it's They're letting good games get buried, kind of, which is, which is a bummer. And that, to me, doesn't feel particularly fair to developers. So we're going to do a bit of a public service right now. We have the time. We have the theming of the episode. We're going to pick a few games that like we're gonna pick up the the nintendo direct mantle i guess you could say we're gonna pick a few games that are switch bound they're indie we think they're worth highlighting maybe they'll turn out great maybe they won't but they look interesting or they have interesting backstories or they fill a hole kind of like you're saying slime sand does for uh me you know until like twitch platformer that yeah exactly until super uh super meat boy and his night come out so so to kick it off and celeste that's another oh yeah celeste too yeah there's so many yeah. It's so interesting how that genre's blown up. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, to kick to kick it off, um, we, we're gonna highlight five. So to kick it off, um, is a game I can only describe really as Box Boy meets Bomberman meets Polarium. Uh, if you remember Polarium, do you remember Polarium, that old DS game where you like that black flip? and white one? Yeah, the black and white tile flipping. Yeah, this is basically that, but it's like a top-down shooter. It's called Inversus. 
and it is essentially a multiplayer top-down shooter. Like you, one player is a black square, one player is a white square, and you travel on the opposite colored tile. So if you're the black square, you go down Get the white it, path. Inverted and yeah, inverse. That's some clever naming right there. But you know what's not as good as oh, what was the pun from before? From before the bird pun. Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Versus, you know, Macaulay Culkin. I'm sorry. Culkin. Culkin, yeah. I, yeah. Double call. Macaulay Culkin. Oh, oh, they do it twice. Yeah. Oh, that's... That's a literal doubling down on the pun. That's that's pretty bold. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so in Versus, uh, you're these squares, and you're going down these passive opposite colors, and what you do is you, um, you can only travel on the opposite color, not the colors that match your color are basically walls. Like you can't go on them whatsoever. And you have a gun. Very strict Splatoon. It's very, it's like Splatoon mixed with flip wars almost. Uh, But yeah, you're shooting your corresponding colored bullet, which will then change all the tiles in front of you to the color you can travel on. And it's kind of like this ongoing turf war back and forth. It's pretty straightforward in concept, but what they're doing is kind of interesting is the, um, the developers company called hypersec. They kind of layer all sorts of stuff on top of that. So there's one-on-one. There's two-on-two. There's single-player against bots. There's a two-player co-op mode where it's basically horde mode. And you go after wave and after wave of enemy, and you two are the same color, and they're the opposite color. So they have a little fun with it. And then for the Switch edition, which they're calling it Versus Deluxe, um, it's out this fall, in case anyone's curious. But they're also adding ranked online matches. There's going to be 16 new maps, which means there's going to be 50 different level layouts for you to do these crazy battles in, which is a lot for something mm-hmm. like this. And they're also um, adding new types of bullets, like one that will fork. So instead of just having the strict, like, it shoots in front of you, which is how the game previously was, you now have branching paths of colors. So you can devise, I guess, deeper strategies as as a result, I would assume, since do you go left, do you go right? Sounds like outmaneuvering opponents a little. Um, And then they also, because, you know, they want people to kind of, I guess, be a little more attached to their little squares you can add a different type of motion trail behind you. So you can have a little personality on your generic square. Um, and since it's on Switch, it's probably worth noting that you'll also be able to play with a single Joy-Con, which is good since Inversus, to me at least, looks like kind of this perfect match to the Switch philosophy of you jump right in, you have a quick match, you pass over a Joy-Con, you play for 20 minutes, you go on and play something else or do something else. Like It's it's like for your little like multiplayer parties you do here, this seemed perfect for that. You know, you do like 20 minutes of overcooked, 10 minutes of like two levels of death squared, a couple rounds of jack party, a little inversus. A couple rounds of use your words. A couple rounds of use your words, which we should talk about at some point. Yeah. I don't know, next episode maybe? Maybe, yeah. But, um, but yeah, like it's, I, I know this This is only the first indie game we've covered um, of the upcoming crop, but honestly, like probably the one I'm most excited for the bunch. It just feels at home on Switch. It feels very Nintendo-y in a way. Simple, yet deep. Exactly, and that that's not to say the others aren't going to be good, necessarily. Like, really all, or aren't, like, a good fit for Switch, I guess is a better way to put it, because really all of them do make sense on Switch this at some just level. just tickles Jason's fancy the most, I guess. It does, it does indeed. But but I do want, like, there are some others worth knowing, I still think. Like, for example, if you still want top-down shooter, but you want one that's more traditional, there's a game coming out called uh, Prometheum, and it's by a single developer, one guy, named uh, Byron Atkinson-Jones, and gameplay wise, it's, it's a cool name. It is. It's pretty like a pretty intense name, Byron Atkinson Jones. It's like sounds like the title of a TV show. It does. It, or like an action star. Yeah. Or something like you know Mission Impossible. Now that Tom Cruise is injured for Mission Impossible, they could swap him out and swap in Byron Atkinson Jones. <laughs> but anyway, um, gameplay wise, so his game Prometheum is basically 
a typical top-down like shump style shooter you know like the shump genre you're flying left to right uh you have different sorts of elaborate enemy formations you have to shoot it does things a little differently with its power-up system which is kind of interesting in that um you don't actually just get a new ability instead the ships will drop pods which are like the in-game currency and as you collect the pods there's a row of icons on the bottom of your screen and you basically pick which weapon you want to use so you actually have some like customization that you can you can choose how to play which for shumps usually it's just like you use the weapon they give you or you power up your ship over like many levels it's not like in the level a chance to adapt i guess huh so yeah you... yeah yeah i think so or like to to exactly to either or i guess or, to... or i guess go with your favorite Loadout, or to try different things and have a reason to replay the level more than most jumps have. Mm. So that, that's kind of neat. And then separate from that, there's also like a two-step process just to shoot the enemies in that they all have these shields. Are you saying chumps? Shump. Oh, shump. Shump. Shoot em ups. Shump. Is that what that stands for? I never knew. Yes. Wow, I'm dumb. I really had no... I know shump and I've known shump forever, but I never thought about what it was an acronym for. Because I always see it written lowercase. So I was like, oh, it's a made up word. Mm. Sounds like a bullet sounder or like the little gun sound. The more you <laughs> know. The more you know. See, that's what you get when you listen to our podcast. Informative things like Shump's meaning. But no, but I was going to say, like, unlike most of those, um, you know, you just shoot the enemy, you're done. This one, you actually have to, like, hack their shield by hovering over a certain spot on the ship. And then that lowers the shield. Then you go shoot them and then you rinse and repeat. But so that's all cool and all. It looks fun. It, like, if you like genres like that, like, I like Nanostray on DS a lot. And this kind of reminds me of that. And I realize they've gone on to make Nano Assault and whatnot. But, like, Nano Strat, it was my jam on the DS. So it's kind of cool that, like, this sort of feels like a spiritual successor. But what I actually found most interesting about the game, more so than the gameplay, is how this thing came to be. Like, I didn't realize this when I first saw the game. I was like, oh, cool, it reminds me of Nano Stray. But then I read up on it. And it turns out the reason there's only one developer, the awesomely named Byron Atkinson Jones is because he made this game to fight off his depression. So apparently the backstory is around Christmas last year, he sunk into this really deep like depression and was kind of stuck in a funk, and he felt that the only way to get out of it was to keep himself busy with something where he'd have to return to it every day and keep working on it and sort of slowly drag himself out. Uh, so he basically did that. He just started making the game, and simultaneously was documenting his progress every day on video, almost like a double reinforcement of like to shut up the voice in his head that's just like no i'm gonna do something i'm gonna move forward wow. and then sure enough over the next few days and weeks he actually started feeling a lot better like he said like i was reading his blog post about it, he was like in a bad place it sounded like he didn't of course go into detail but and he's of course not like 100 percent cured but he was saying this significantly helped so not only not only could you get a fun shump out of this but you are literally helping with someone's mental well-being so it's kind of a cool little like Thing. Like, usually you don't hear that sort of story about any games. It's usually like, oh, yeah, I wanted to do this thing because I thought it'd be cool or I had this crazy idea for a game. But, like, Tesla would be like, oh, this was my, like, way to recover from something bad. It's kind of kind of neat. I don't know. It's different. You never really hear that. Yeah. Not super similar, but that does kind of remind me of, I guess, McMillan's case. I know, like, a lot of his games are kind of like his state of mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. As I said, that. I remember it's just he he does, like, AMAs on Twitter all the time. And someone asked him. Real quick, not to interrupt you. McMillan's the dude behind. And his, and, and his nine and all I that. did say that before I don't know if you said it in oh did you at the top yeah, at you're the right top, you're, yeah. sorry you're right for everyone who jumped into the middle I'm here for you guys here for you <laughs> <laughs> anyway you're saying on, no, he, on he, did, he did like AMAs on Twitter like all the time he would just say like alright people ask me anything for like 15 minutes and someone asked him if they would ever make a happy game and he just said like no because I'm never like that happy or something like that right 
Yeah, no, it, it's cool. Like, you don't think about because, like, movies and music, you're always like, oh, yeah, that's the state of the person. Like, yeah. you know, that that's how that goes. But you don't really think about it with games because you always assume, like, games are this collective project where, you know, Macmillan or I mean, look at Byron Atkinson Jones are all, you know, these one off guys who are just like, I'm going to do this. And the fact that now, Binding of Isaac, yeah, the fact that mm-hmm. all these games are now on all these platforms and actually, like, or like, you know, we're talking about on Nintendo Podcast this one dude's project needs to have it on the hottest system around right now, the Switch. Like that that's gotta be cool on some level beyond just like my dream came true, like Yeah, and I'm sure like a lot of them like I know like I've read some developers say like, Oh, it's like they're doing like, Oh, I get a game come out on the Nintendo console or Yeah. It's like a launch game or blah 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 or stuff like I that. I mean it goes back to what I was saying during E three about my favorite moment being the director of Mario and Rabbids getting so emotional about Miyamoto like calling him out because like that was a big deal for him. Like these guys you, you gaming for so long it's just like oh yeah these big conglomerate companies make these games but nah there's like people behind it it's really cool when like you get to see them or learn about them or whatever like we know the Miyamoto's we know the Yuji Nakas we know the Kojima's but you don't necessarily know Byron Atkinson Jones and now you do so yeah I, I just think it's cool I don't know it's uh so that honestly it's funny because I feel like there's almost like a whole second tier of like indie now oh there is dude they're like oh, their own actually, little yeah I shouldn't even say that there definitely is well no no like you mean like kind of like indie celebrity status yeah I mean yeah. it's it's part of the same like because I mean sometimes um like like Atui like Jules Watson like oh yeah he's a pretty big name I too. mean like he's I mean he's actually, he's technically an indie game developer he doesn't feel like an indie game developer yeah or like even Way forward, does way forward doesn't. Um, exactly. I by the way, there's another one that Nintendo just brushed aside. Way forward has the Shantae DLC coming out end of this month. Oh, yeah. No one bothered telling anyone. Risky's the yeah, first like, time if you follow Risky way forward, boots, you know. But yeah, the you first don't. time she's playable. Yeah, I got an email about it because of the back. Kickstarter. But you know, it'd be great if Nintendo gave it another push and they could boost sales of the game on Switch as well. Yeah. Wait, is that one on Switch? That one's on Switch. Yeah, it's on yeah. Switch. <laughs> I think about that for a second. But yeah, so but you're right. There is like this. I think it's part of this whole like democratization, for lack of a better word, of the internet. Where like, or not democratization. Maybe it is. Where basically everyone's on equal footing, and everyone's kind of like anyone can be famous. Anyone, if you are good at what you do. Yeah. Like when we were teens, like in the GameCube days, if you wanted to be like a big name on the Nintendo scene, you were Matt or Craig or Mark at IGN. Those were the Nintendo tree, the holy trinity of Nintendo coverage for those three dudes at IGN, and that was it. Now, you could be the guy that stood in line first for the Switch in New York, CND, I think is what it goes by on YouTube. Yeah, CND. And you are now being invited by Nintendo to go play Metroid Sanchez Returns before it comes out at their San Francisco office, and you get flown out by Nintendo, and you go, and you can have this whole moment, and you're just a dude who stood in line for a month and made some really quality content while in line. Like, it's interesting how everything's just kind of flipped. Everyone can, in theory, do what they... Yeah. You know, do what used to be uh, accessible to a limited few. But anyway, kind of straying off the path here. Um, back to indie games. While we're on top-down shooters, so we have Inversus, we have Prometheum, and I won't necessarily call it a shooter. You're not really shooting, but if you still want something top-down that's maybe a little trippier, there's another top-down game announced called Sparkle 2 Evo. Um, Anything to do with Evo? No. Oh. It actually has to do with uh, Evolution. I mean, that so, is the full name of Evo. I meant, like, the, 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 the concept of organisms evolve. Well, it's maybe not even evolution. I guess evolution. Yeah, evolution. So basically how it works is um, 
you're in charge of this little sea-based organism in its simplest form, and you're evolving it into becoming a carnivore, a herbivore, or omnivore through the game. Like, it's sort of visually looks like electroplankton on ds if you remember that of course you remember that i guess that's more for people listening yeah that thing from oh, smash brothers oh Bro. that's not the right answer dude. i know did you yes. have you ever played a lot do you own i know it's it, that not quite music game but... no it's a music game it's just one where you're very limited in how you compose the music because it's like make the tadpole jump on the leaf five times that's you right. made music wait do you own it though no i never owned it. i have it it's so it's like an art piece almost i don't know how better to describe it like it's this weird little thing and then it's like a tech demo, but it, no, I wouldn't even say it's a tech demo because it's very well thought out. It was just like tech demos can be well thought out. No, it was not a tech. It came out way after the DS came out, like a year or two later. It was not a tech demo. It was, it was. I don't remember who created, it, but it basically this guy's idea is like, what if plankton and sea creatures and whatnot, like little single cell organisms, made music, and you just interact with them using the touchscreen, using buttons, there's like different settings and different games so to speak within it and they each do music in different ways and you can basically compose things with it it's more like a toy than a tech demo it was well, like some sort of musical to toy sparkle 2 evo but well it looks very much like sparkle 2 evo in terms of um aesthetic. visuals aesthetic yeah so sparkle it's kind of like that aesthetically gameplay wise it's kind of like flow where you're just sort of making your way you know flow on playstation where you're just sort of making your way through the world um <laughs> But as you sim through, you f- you uh, find food to eat. You battle or- other organisms for food. You eventually, over the 13 stages, come across bosses. There's a competitive multiplayer mode. But as you go through it, you're kind of customizing your character. You get to see their DNA makeup and kind of de- determine what paths to take with the DNA and how to evolve them. And it's, it looks very like laid back, and the music's kind of trippy and whatnot. It's kind of hard to put into words, but it caught my eye when I was you know browsing through these indie games the last few weeks. Um, it's definitely slower paced not a shooter but um it's kind of like spore if spore was a top-down game so i don't know it's i think the best way to judge it for yourself unlike some of these other games is to actually go look at I mean, it so spore we, was a top-down game for about like 30 percent of the so game. it's like 30 percent of spore and then 60 the other 60 percent huh that's not math the other um 70 percent is i guess elective plankton, plankton without music but no i would say go look at we have the trailer at Antenna.com on the blog post. Go check it out. Like, we link to the story with the trailer. It's it's interesting. It's hard to visualize, but it looks cool. Now, if you don't want to play a top-down game, there's a point-and-click adventure coming to Switch that's very noteworthy. Um, it's It's been out for other systems. It's Thimbleweed Park. comes to Switch next month. And this is has a bit more name recognition, perhaps, because it is made by Ron Gilbert, who is responsible. You may not know that name, but he is responsible for some of the biggest games in the genre. Uh, Monkey Island, Maniac Mansion, basically all the like '90s LucasArts points and point and clicks. That was this guy, and now this guy has a new one in the style of those. You may also know him, Nintendo fans, as the man who is behind Double Finds the Cave, which was on Wii U. So he has some more closer ties to home, so to speak. But uh, yeah, so this new game, you have five different characters, ranging from an FBI agent to a clown, because you know that's how it goes, and you're investigating a murder. And what they're promising for the Switch edition is you could play it with the touchscreen, you could play it with the Joy-Cons, and either way you get a full point-click adventure like you want on a computer. So, like, 2D Boys, World of Goo? That's or... what I'm assuming. They haven't said how the Joy-Cons work, because in theory they could, be, they could be saying 
because a point and click, you know, it could be a cursor you just control with a C stick, real or a control stick, really. So they could be saying you use the Joy-Con when it's in the dock. I you hope just they do actually move the stick. With it. But I imagine it must be the point thing because that was clever. How um, it's they, Tomorrow Corp, by the way, Two D Boy became Tomorrow Corp. They're now Tomorrow Corp. But but they still kept the Two D Boy for World because of Tomorrow Corp's actually one extra person. So they no, they, I know. They, they I, 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 I I'm I'm just calling it by what it All says. Right. But yeah, so for those games, World of Goo, Little Inferno, the 2D Boy slash Tomorrow Corp did a really cool thing where they managed to basically trick the gy- the Joy-Con gyro into thinking it was a pointer. Like, they used the gyro to sense where a pointer is. It's kind of like a remote mouse. In theory, that would make the most sense for Thimbleweed, I imagine. I mean, hopefully it has the gyro pointing. If it does, then that's like an insta-buy for me. If not, then I'll just get it on Mac, if it's available on Mac. I think it is. I think Hopefully. it is. But um, it, it, either way, like however it, however it is presented on Switch, I think it's a solid uh, fit for the Switch, really. Because like a story driven adventures like this or something, you probably want to keep going with. Like you're not gonna, oh, I have to go take the bus. Well, I'm not gonna continue my story. Like it's really easy to do while in motion or while doing stuff. So it makes sense on a system that you can pick up and go with. And B, this genre is growing pretty steadily on Switch. Like the narrative based game genre. Uh, we already have Minecraft story. Granted, it's a little different than this sort of point and click. I'm not trying to say they're equal. But, um, you know, we have that on Switch. And then it's come out recently that Telltale is probably going to be bringing a lot more of those sorts of more narrative-driven I don't know. Hopefully they bring story The Walking Dead. I would love to play that on TV. Yeah. I, I, the ones that are rumored... Well, first of all, the reason I say it's looking like they're going to is because um, the company recently put up a job listing for a Nintendo-compliant specialist. And you don't need a specialist in Nintendo unless you're bringing games to Nintendo in mass, you know? Because um, there's been rumors in the past it was Guardians of the Galaxy, the series that they put out might be coming to Switch. That hasn't materialized. Now it's looking like it may be the Batman series they did. This one looks Maybe a little more... Or Game of Thrones, or Walking Dead, or The Wolf Among Us. There's so many to choose from. Oh really. man, no, they just re- they just said nothing of the season of The Wolf Among Us. I seriously think if they're getting a specialist, they're going to be doing all of them. But the reason Batman immediately seems more or seems more immediate, I should say, is because it's already everywhere. Spanish retailers listed it. GameStop has a pre-order page for it. Amazon has a pre-order page for it. It's supposedly coming out in October, so it seems. It seems likely that it's coming. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time someone is listening to this very recording, it's already announced. Like, that's how imminent it, se- or imminent it seems. Like, it's that close. And I I can't... Sp- I know you've been trying to get me a place for a long time. Because, like, Walking Dead, I think, was the one you they first... They seem right up your alley. Like, the type of game that they are just seem perfect mm-hmm. for you. Not much gameplay involved. It's more of a passive experience that you interact with once in a while, so you could consider it a video game. But <laughs> yeah, this is fun. But but uh, I think what would get me to jump jump in a, in a heartbeat is if they do, if Batman becomes real. Like I don't, that's bad words. If, <laughs> if if Batman comes to my house with this, I will. But no, if if the Batman game becomes reality on Switch, because I do love me some Batman, and I keep getting told by you how good these, this like genre that Telltale's created is, and more of the point, um. Why play Batman on a little smartphone when I could play it on a big Switch touchscreen? Or right. on a TV yeah. and go real big. So it just seems I will like... say the touchscreen does feel like the definitive way to play these games. I Yeah, I don't think I'd play it on a TV, honestly. I think I'd play it on the Switch touchscreen, which is... it's still doable. I mean, all you're really doing is just um, replacing the QuickTime events with swipes with button presses, so... Right. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's just like even buttons, not buttons. The thing about this is like, so if this is something that you're supposed to passively watching, you know, like almost like a 
animated comic book except not as marking as show but either way it seems like something more intimate where it makes more sense in my hands as a tablet based thing like on the switch portable mode but you know but anyway last game on the indie front that we thought would be mentioned worth mentioning is something that will tide people over until smash bros is announced and Eventually, that yeah. yeah and that is a switch version of brawl out and at first glance this game is straight up smash bros but when you dig a little deeper, there's actually some more to it. From my understanding, at least, um, this game came into existence, and you're going to need to correct me on this if I'm wrong. The game came into existence basically as, like, the competitive gamer smash, right? Like, they saw it. It was announced at Evo last year. They're mimicking stuff, like, pretty one-to-one. Like, they've hyper uh, – when they announced it for Switch, they announced that Hyper Light Drifter will be a playable character. And he is straight up the Marth or Link of this game. Like, they're not – it's not even subtle – it's very direct, but it seems like, from what I've gathered, they're trying to basically be like, here's what people want from a competitive Smash. We're going to build it as like kind of this fake Smash Bros. Like, this is spin-off yeah, Smash but, Bros. Yeah, but then they, they're, like, emphasizing that... Well, at least from what I've seen, that they're emphasizing the fact that this game has combos. And That's not very Smash Bros. No, and the last time, again, tried to emphasize that um, we had PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. And... I'm not saying that technically it's a bad thing because I really like PlayStation also's Battle Royale, mm-hmm. but that game understood that when you have combos like these really long strings that are, they're more automatic than the, what I guess in Smash Bros. you call strings because you have a bunch of moves that can connect to each other in theory in Smash Brothers, but it depends on how your opponent um, affects their directional mobility while you're right. attacking them. Like there's a lot of factors that like you... It's more stage control. And PlayStation also Battle Royale with their combos. The moment you land a single hit, as long as you have that sequence memorized, you're going to input your entire combo. But because Smash Bros. is not not health-based in the typical sense of the word, All-Stars did the smart thing and did the ultras that call... Like, you can KO people. Mm-hmm. You combo to build your meter, then you KO people. Like, I really like that mechanic, especially in 2 versus 2. This one, Brawl Out, I don't know. I mean, this is just based off impressions from videos. I like, actually am curious to try it because I want to see for myself if it is fun. But it looks like they're combining aspects that don't mesh well together. Sure. Like, I feel like combos for this kind of, like, platform fighter have to be more like Smash Brothers and not, like, PlayStation All-Stars. If they are going to do the King of the Hill style gameplay, which they are. Right. So, I don't know. It kind of has me cautiously cautious it just has me cautious right i mean it, it's interesting that like i'm not having a hope so like i'm diff i hope it's good because that would be awesome to have a game like this to hold me right. over until smash brothers kind of like how sonic and Authors racing held me over until mario kart but then i ended up liking sonic and Authors racing more than mario kart but it sounds re- like brawl out won't be the same yeah it sounds like it won't game. but i could be wrong yeah, i mean just- the the four-armed frog dude looks pretty cool it, it just kind of caught my eye because i was like wait we don't have Smash probably for another, you know, until 2018 at the earliest, and yet here it is by the end of the year, but not, sort of. Yeah, the fact they have wave dashing, or I, I know, like... Wait, is wave dashing actually a feature in this game, opposed yeah, to like just they, a fluke, like, in Melee? No, they, they put it as a as a feature, which kind of turns hmm. me off a little, because, I mean, I don't have anything against wave dashing, I just, it's kind of moved from it, like, ever since I left Melee, so, like, putting it back in there, it's like, I don't know. I ended up disliking... Me- the more I played Smash 4, the more yeah. I started to dislike how gameplay felt in Melee. I still like watching it. Right. I-, 
love watching competitive players like wave dash all over the place. But as but when I play, like I find it not as fun. Right, right. Yeah. Although it's interesting, it sounds like it's separating itself enough that it could coexist with Smash on Switch and have. Yeah, like I it's mean, not like so similar. Yeah, it's, which is it's good, but also it seems like they might. And from what you're saying, might need to rethink some of the. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, this game I feel like because it's not on Switch right now. I mean, I guess it's it would be competing more with um, Rivals of Ether, which is like a sprite-based Smash Brothers, basically. Wait, which, what? I have I never heard of this. It, you know, it looks awesome. Like, if anything, it actually started off as um, a Game Boy parody of Smash Brothers. Like, where like some like, like oh, I have heard of this. Like, like someone made Smash Brothers for Game Boy and it had like Vaporeon as a character and stuff like that. But then they pretty much adopted that into a full fledged game, and it actually has like a competitive scene and it has really unique characters and it's different from like it has combos, but it's different from Smash Brothers that. I mean, especially in the art style, it just looks way different, and it mm-hmm. looks really fun, but it's not for Switch. What's the over-under, in your opinion, of it coming to Switch? I don't know. It seems very likely, but it's also really old. I feel like it would have come out by uh, now. Yeah. I feel like they would have announced... They just announced a new character, and they announced it at SmashCon. Like, their demographic is Smash Bros. players, right? but it's for everything but that. Well, then maybe it's still... I mean... Actually, I don't even think it's for Xbox. Or, I think it's just for PC. Which will come first to Switch? Pocket Fighter or this? Pocket Fighter, probably. Okay. So you have zero confidence in it coming to Switch. Yeah. That's what that means. If it came to Switch, I would definitely play it, but... Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't seem like it is. Right. But yeah, it, it is just like... It seems like... It's fine because like indies are basically filling the gaps of Nintendo's own lineup at this point, which is kind of like why some of these I chose... Like some of these when I was going through this, I'm like, this makes sense, this makes sense. Brawl out makes sense to bring up because like we don't have anything like it exactly on Switch. Right? We mm. won't for a while. I mean, we do have fighting games. I mean, whether Brawlout, like, is trying to be Smash Bros. or not, like, it's, it still ha- has the bar set really high on it, which yeah. is very unfortunate it, because yeah. I, I want to like it, but it's Smash Bros. Understandable. I mean, Understandable. I, yeah, this is nothing I could do about it. Right. I'm, I'm sorry, Brawlout. <laughs> you have a high bar. To, I'm going to be very stern on you. Yeah, well. Because I want to love you. Smash is like <laughs> your favorite game, so it makes sense. But, I mean, generally speaking, though, everything we just talked about, like, inverse... Uh, inversus, I mean, to brawl out or like Meat Boy coming to Switch to Mutant Muds coming to Switch, like it. It just seems again this would make a good Nindy Direct because you know what would paired very nicely with the Nindy Direct. They could have done other eShop stuff. Like there, some people just discovered on the uh, your Nintendo of Europe servers that there are GameCube games listed, specifically two of them: Dosh and the Giant and Sonic Adventure DX. And that would have been kind of a cool one-two punch. Like, look at all these indie games. Also, here's some GameCube games. And I actually find it kind of interesting and think it would have been cool if they did this, that they are not picking Metroid Prime, Mario Kart Double Dash, Mario Sunshine. They're not doing, like, the big-name GameCube games. No. They're giving us these, like, bizarro ones. Like, the Dosh and the Giant was so weird it was never released. Brothers Trophy from Melly with the yellow... So, yes, but he, he was he was a real game. I mean, he was... A, well, I mean, I knew it came from a yeah. game. It was so just like, Dosh, those trophies that are like, what is this? Like, oh, it's a Japan-exclusive game. No, it was also in Europe. Dawson the Giant was super weird, but never came out in America. Gifpa was another GameCube game that was super weird, but never came out in America. Um, Sonic Adventure is like the less... Like, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle did huge on GameCube. Sonic Adventure DX came out and did okay. Like, it did well, but it wasn't like the... Didn't storm storm the trenches, as Big Like Battle did. So, like, if they did this with GameCube releases on the eShop, like, focus on these lesser games, so to speak, the ones that people maybe didn't see or forgot, I think that'd be really cool. Like... We're probably going to get one day HD remake, remakes of, like, you know, 
Mario Sunshine or whatever. So instead, just go all out with the weird games in town. Give us Chibi Robo. Give us Custom Robo. Seriously, give us, give other, us Chibi Robo. Give us other games now. that maybe don't end in Robo. Like, it doesn't have to just be Chibi and Custom. It can also be, I don't know, Cubivore. Cubivore. Yeah, I Whoa, that is weird. We both said it at the same time. Or, or honestly, you know what games never get an HD remake because it's rare? Give us Star Fox Adventures. Yeah. Like, just the, the fact that Or even exist, better Assault. Yeah, Horror Assault. That won't get an HD remake, too. That's true. But my point is, and that... You, but they need it. So it looks good. That's true. It does look pretty good. But my, my point is, if these server listings are any indication of anything becoming real, A, you could have paired it with an Indies and it would have been great. And B, and more to the point, make it interesting. Like, there's no reason to just have it be the usual standby game. Like, go go nuts, Nintendo. That's Like, just have fun with it. Like, the Switch is, success- is going to be successful enough that you can put weird things out there and people will buy them. And Get the rest them. to Polish Digimon Rumble Arena. Now that's a really good Smash Brothers competitor. As yeah, well, honestly, like Rumble just, Arena too, just thinking about it, like be it Digimon Rumble Arena, be it Dosh and the Giant, be it Gift Pia, any of these games, what the indies and nindies have shown is that all these things can have an audience and can do well. Like you don't have to be the best Nintendo game. You don't have to be like the clearest concept. You can still carve out your niche and sell a couple hundred thousand copies if you're a quality game in that weird little world you exist in. You know what I mean? Like, Doshin today, if it was released, probably would have come to America as an eShop-only tile. Giftia probably would have come to America. Cube of War did come to America, but it was, like, very limited print run, and Atlas, for some reason, published it, even though it was Nintendo's own game. So, like, there, you know, there, there's opportunity here. And I think, I think they could have gone one step further if they did an indie direct why stop at just games? Why not cap it with the announcement of the Nintendo World Championships? They like had all these perfect opportunities to announce things, and they just kind of shot them out there in weird ways. But like Nintendo World Championships, put that teaser they put out at the end of the Direct. It would have been great. Speaking of which, Nintendo World Championship. How about that? It's back again. We waited 15 years, then we waited two, and here we are. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, a lot still under wraps for those who are keeping tabs on it. Um we don't know what we're going to see in the tournament itself, but I'm just going to put it out there, especially in light of Brawl Out. I think the perfect place to probably show the first teaser for Smash Bros. on Switch would be at the World Championships. You have a ton of Nintendo fans watching a live stream. You have an enthusiastic crowd at the venue in New York who are going to hoop and holler and give all that extra like hyped feeling that you need for something like that. And then that's another big selling point for the Switch going directly into the holidays. The championships are on, I think, October 9th. And obviously Smash won't be out by the holidays, but if you can suddenly have a pitch of like, hey, here's our new system. It has Mario Odyssey, it has Splatoon, it has Mario Kart, it has Zelda, and right around the corner is Smash. Check out this teaser. It's coming, we swear. You should buy this thing. That will work. People will buy it. Like, even even more so than already. Or we support, just let people, let that be the final game that they compete in. Yeah, that'd be cool. Because, like, I'm kind of curious, actually, what games are going to feature. That's a good point. And they'll only be allowed to use the new characters. Oh, can you imagine if they all had to use, like, the Rhythm Heaven It's going to be, like, yeah, there's going to be all the characters that never made. Like, it's going to be the Rhythm Heaven games, the Ice Climbers, and yeah. then they'll have, like, Inklings as a brand new one. And, I don't know, some other yeah, cool one. Yeah, that would be... Ima- imagine the, like, frenzy around that and, like, the online reactions. Oh, that'd be so good. But I'm kind of curious what games they featured. Because, like... You, you, like that's kind of a good point because if I remember correctly, when they did in what 2015 at E3 Federation Force, yeah, they yeah Metroid Prime Federation Force. Although it debuted as Blast Ball, and no one knew what it was. But um, although we were saying like it's gotta be Metroid, and it was. But uh, no, like that year, that 
championships was um which you know was the first in 15 years i feel like that one was very like marketing focused i mean obviously this one is too but that was very like current games games at e3 games that just came out let's do that you know they had like splatoon and the final stage was mario Maker. definitely gonna be part of it yeah arms will be in this one i think splatoon 2 will be in this one i guess they could do pokin i don't see them doing pokin mario kart 8. maybe mario kart pokin doesn't make sense to me it's now gonna be off about... which games you feel no that's what's weird like where are they gonna do on 3S? but i was gonna say pokemon won't work i mean it would work but they're doing it literally the same weekend we're recording this in anaheim at the pokemon world championship so why would it then be at nintendo's but whatever but yeah i don't know what 3ds games they would do it'd have to be older ones i mean the qualifier is mario kart 7 of all things that game like forever ago yeah so i i i don't know they need something some sort of finale that kind of matches they need something like mario maker like, Mario Maker was cool when you did at championships because there's, like, custom Mario levels. Everyone knows how Mario plays, but it's, like, different and challenging. And I don't know what that would be this time around. They don't really have anything that fits that bill. Like, Mario Odyssey, you would think, would get a big push, but nothing about that screams competitive play whatsoever. So, I don't know. I mean, any ideas? Any 3DS games that you think of that makes sense? They're probably not going to do Pokemon of any sort. I guess they could do <laughs> Ultra Moon. Smash Brothers for 3DS. I don't know. Oh, God. Could you imagine if they did, like, actually, that wouldn't be bad. Or if they, like, went really backwards, just, like, Smash 64. Surprise, you can download it from the eShop now on Switch. It's like, what? That's your big reveal? Oh, they can't think of anything. Yeah, there isn't. That's the thing. They can't. It's not going to be like, Mario hey, Party Island Tour. Hey, Pikmin. Or, no, Hey, Pikmin. Me, Tope. Nope, that's also single player. Yeah, I don't know. They could do like a speed run, uh, like an escape from Metroid. The other Samus Mario Party 3DS. They could game. do an escape sequence Star from uh, Samus Returns on 3DS. Do they have escape sequences in Metroid 2? I don't remember. They must. Every Metroid does, right? It does at the end. So maybe it's gonna be that. Maybe that won't be the finale, but that could be part of it. I don't know. It just seems like the Switch is obviously gonna be covered. They have so much for Switch. I just have no idea what they have for uh, 3DS. But I guess we'll find out. It's October 9th. The the regional uh, qualifiers are already going on this weekend in New York, San Francisco, and you can you know from there there's LA and some others. We'll probably. I mean, are you entering? Mm, it's in LA. It's literally 15 minutes from my house. It's the day after my sister's wedding, so maybe. So if your body can survive it, <laughs> survive the wedding, then maybe. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I would like to. I mean, if there was no, if there was nothing going on that weekend, I would definitely. Right. But yeah, I I do think it's kind of interesting that. Um, it's in New York this time. It's not on the West Coast. It, I mean, normally they do these things on the West Coast, but I feel like they're starting to now throw the East Coast a bone like once a year because, I mean, first of all, it coincides with New York Comic Con, which is no coincidence, I don't think. But, like, if you look at how Nintendo does their stuff, the West Coast gets, like, everything. We have E3, we have Comic Con, there's PAX in Seattle, there's Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, like, so much Nintendo activities on our coast. That like they, I guess they're starting to feel bad for the East Coast. You know, they've done a Zelda panel with E.G. Anuma over in New York Comic Con. They're doing this this year. All the East Coast has outside of this is Nintendo World or Nintendo the store. Whatever they call it. Nintendo New York. There we go. You've been there. I know. I just I'm used to calling. Times. Yeah, I'm used to calling Nintendo World because I've been there multiple times. <laughs> I used to go every year. But and Nintendo Nintendo New York is great. But like and they have launch events, but they're not the same scale as like the Smash Invitational here in L.A. or anything like that. So. This is probably them throwing them throwing a bone to the East Coast, but anyway, we'll see what happens. I I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, it is. And that sort of brings a conclusion to what's going on on the eShop, and I guess what's going on with tournaments, since we somehow spilled over to that. But there is um, other noteworthy things happening in the physical world too, besides just the tournament, uh, because right now we seem to be at a bit of like a tipping point with third parties, Japanese third parties, 
and Switch. It seems like they're all one by one coming on board in very large ways, and that's kind of nice to see. And I think the best example is probably Square Enix, which, um, first of all, can you believe a company that once shunned Nintendo for seven or they announced nine... Final Fantasy Seven the remake? Not yet, no. But they're a company that shunned Nintendo for what seven straight years or something like that, and now they are literally the biggest supporter of Switch. Like the the single biggest supporter of Switch, and what's crazy is the support just keeps coming. Like they just announced in Japan that they're releasing Dragon Quest Builders Two, which, as you can guess, is a sequel to the original, which was a uh, basically a Dragon Quest riff on Minecraft. And now Two's coming to Switch. It's arguably, I'd say, probably their smartest Switch announcement they're doing outside of the core Dragon Quest games of Ten and Eleven. And I say that because everything about Builders just kind of screams switch to me like first off it's kind of like minecraft and minecraft is a huge seller on nintendo platformers as in it's the best-selling eShop game in wii u history levels of like huge yeah, seller it's consistently as in, always the number one except when a game comes out then it moves to number two and then comes back to number week, one yeah. you know what's crazy minecraft in japan sold more copies on the eShop than any first-party Nintendo game. Microsoft had the biggest-selling eShop game on Wii U in Japanese history period ever. Wii U's dead. So, you know, that's a definitive statement now. Microsoft. When are they going to release that patch that allows us to do cross-platform Soon. They're they're, they're testing it now. Yeah, I know this is summer, but I'm just getting impatient. Yeah, they also delayed the save transfer feature, which is really crazy when it comes out. Now, do you know how it works for Minecraft on Switch? Um, You airdrop yourself. Huh. You open a special menu on both the Wii U version and the Switch version, and then it's like you all transfer, and you say yes, and it just sort of shoots it over. I assume through their server, but they make it look like AirDrop, kind of. But anyway, um, yeah, so the fact that Minecraft does well on Switch means Builders is presumably going to do well, because you not only have that Switch audience that is interested in this type of game, or Nintendo audience, I should say, but you couple that with the Dragon Quest fans who already cared about Switch because it's getting 10 and 11, and it has Dragon Quest Heroes 1 and 2 already released on it, and it seems logical that they would now put this game onto Switch. But on top of that, Builders also introduces a multiplayer mode in, in the sequel here. So anyone anyone who's played Minecraft, I think, can attest. Maybe you can help me because you've played more than I have. It's more fun with other people, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So the fact I almost that, exclusively played with other people. The fact that Builders 1 didn't have multiplayer. I mean, if someone me. here had Minecraft on the Switch. Hey, I could. <laughs> I could. That's true. Yeah, um, but what I was gonna say is like, I don't know how Builders One got by without multiplayer. Like the fact that Builders Two's new feature is multiplayer just confuses me. What it's was it before? Game. What it is a very pretty it, game it for a, yeah. a Minecraft esque game. Yeah, it has a, it definitely has a little more going on artistically. Yeah, Dragon Quest games usually do look really nice, even with their same like so shady anime Dragon Ball Z look. Yeah, especially that newest one. Man, that thing looks nice. Um, you're talking about uh, Dragon. Dragon- Oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, 11. No. Yeah, the new one. The new one. New the one. new one. 11. The new one. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so it has multiplayer, which, again, makes perfect sense on Switch. So you got the demographic, you got the multiplayer. Smart move, Square Enix, is my point. But the broader point here, I think, is Square Enix is putting an insane amount of weight behind Switch. With If you include Dragon Quest Builders 2, they now have nine different projects either released or coming to the Switch. Be it ones they're outright publishing, or ju- I mean, like outright developing, being ones they're just publishing, whatever it is, they have nine games. Nintendo itself only has 15 announced games. Square wow. Enix is very close. Like, 15 is a lot, don't get me wrong, but Square Enix is not very far behind with nine. 
Like, that's just kind of insane that Square... Square, the guys who dissed Nintendo for a generation and a half, now have literally the most of any third party. It's kind of kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be a growing trend with other Japanese third parties, too, because Bandai Namco, for example, may have nowhere near the same number of games announced, but they have committed to releasing a steady stream of games on Switch, or as they put it, quote, We will continue to introduce Nintendo Switch titles from July, one after another. So I, I don't know what time span one after another is, but I assume the July game they're talking Every about. Every other month. Yeah, it could be. I have no idea. But the July game they're talking about is, um, to be clear, Namco Museum. And from what I've read about it, it's actually really well thought out. Like, Namco Museum was not a cheap, like, port or cash in or something. I mean, it's not just a bunch of ram, uh, ROMs thrown into a cartridge and they call it a day. Like, they built in support for an arcade mode where you could, like, turn the switch vertical and actually have it mimic the screen dimensions of an arcade cabinet and then play with the Joy-Con, you know, in your hand. So it's like you just rest the switch on something. They have, obviously, oh, Pac-Man Versus. Cool. Yeah. They have, obviously, uh, Pac-Man Versus, which we've talked about before. All the games have, like, a mission mode where you have to complete little tasks, almost NES Remix style, within the Namco Museum, like, interface. There's a lot more to it than just, like, we made some ROMs and hoped it did well on Switch. So... That seems promising, and then beyond that, obviously, they're bringing us Dragon Ball Z Universe 2 in September. There's Pokemon Torment that they're co-developing with Nintendo. If Smash for Switch ends up just being the Wii U or 3DS version enhanced, presumably Namco or Bandai Namco would have a hand in that as they developed it originally. And then on top of that, if you want to just talk about their own games, we already have a Tails game confirmed and a Taiko Drum Master confirmed for Switch, both of which are very big franchises for Nam- uh, Bandai Namco. So they're committed. They're on board. That's now big Japanese conglomerate developer or publisher number two in this trend. And it's funny because even Capcom, the ones we spent a good chunk of last episode talking about how they are constantly discussing their tests of Switch games, they actually fall into this bucket of strong third-party support. Sounds steady. No, no, no. Think about this. Every major franchise, almost every major franchise that Capcom has put on Nintendo systems in the last decade is coming to Switch in the first nine months. You got Street Fighter already out. You got Resident Evil later this year. You got Monster Hunter like this week in Japan. The only thing missing is Ace Attorney, and they have literally hit every oh. franchise that they have put on Nintendo I mean, System in the last ten years. Yeah, but granted, I mean, there's also ports, all games that they have released in the granted their ports and whatnot. Every but, single one. But for a company that's like we're going to test it to then put every major franchise on it that quickly, those are some that's some intense testing, you could say. Yeah. Now, Ace Attorney, I feel like they should get on Switch. It seems like it would make sense, but instead they're just continuing to announce it. It's on Ace iPads, of... too. It would definitely Right? Work. That's what I'm saying. It but... was on the Wii. And yet, nothing on Switch. Instead, they're just announcing ports to 3DS still. Yeah, and honestly, this one, Apollo Justice, is way overdue. Honestly, don't know how they got away with not putting on, putting this one up for so long. And still making 5 and 6. Because 4... I mean, whether people like it or not, I know it's like a polarizing game, but it's yeah. still one of the, I, I feel it's one of the best ones, and I know it's always his personal favorite. Um, this one is like, it's all about Apollo for the most part. It's still a Phoenix game, but Apollo's a crucial part, introduces you to the character, a lot of key stuff happens that they reference to in part 5 and part 6. Which are already on 3DS. Yeah. So Literally the only game, yeah, this so, completes this, now all 6 are on 3DS. Yeah, so if you don't play, and they released the trilogy in 3D and HD like not too long ago but they didn't put 4 but then when part 6 came out which is more heavily leans heavily more on Apollo 
and does reference it from this game, it's like I don't know. It, it just kind of. I remember you. I remember it, it, you complaining yeah. about this. Yeah, it just sucks for new fans. I mean, obviously, it didn't bother me too much because I played Part Four, but it does feel like a more complete game if you played this one, which was always missing. And it was only ever on 3DS. It didn't really release it on iOS. For, you mean DS? I mean, it was only ever on DS. So yeah. it didn't even get like an iPhone port like that. The other ones got like in spades. By the way, that was nine years ago. It came out. Feel old yet? <laughs> yeah, that's why it's. It's a good thing that this game is finally coming out. And the thing is, they're actually giving it like some serious updates. They're adding in some of the more recent yeah. crime-solving stuff, like finger, like dusting for fingerprints and spinning objects like 360 degrees. No, this is the game that introduced it. How come they're hyping it up like it's something new on 3DS? I don't know. Because <laughs> I read it, I'm like, no, I've done that. No, no, I didn't. No, the original Phoenix Wright on DS did some of this, and the extra mission at the end, you could do the dusting. Yeah, I but... dusted. I spun things. Okay, this is all a lie. All right. The, orig- all right, the, 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 right, the original one, the DS. Okay, Ace Attorney 1, 2, and 3 were Game Boy Advance games that they ported to the DS. Right. And when they ported it to the DS, they created one extra mission for... Oh, yeah, I guess you're... Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. and those missions had these gameplay yeah, yeah, features. Yeah, that's right. so, so when I read the press release, I'm like, I guess it's new. I think I've done this before. Well, I, I guess, well I mean, what I meant with uh, this game, because Anna Sky, or Lana Sky, the forensic scientist that does those things the mm-hmm. dusting on the fingerprint stuff she's like the main detective in this game so you do that throughout the whole game gotcha. so that's like where this game it's pretty the meat much... of the game versus a thing at the end yeah yeah one cool thing they're doing though separate from that i mean they're updating the artwork also right. you can play the whole thing in english or japanese on the same game it's gonna be dual language which they're again sub- hype. wait I don't know. All they're saying is you can choose to have it be dual language, and some of the artwork in the backgrounds actually changes to reflect the localization. Well, I mean that makes sense because I mean yeah. as far as the I don't know US if they mean knows, subtitles or not, because I mean as far as we know, the game takes place in the United States. Yeah, as far as they know, it's in Japan. It's in Japan, and obviously a lot of the writing like is catered towards us. That's why like I feel I would only. As much as I would want to play a fan translation of the game they're never going to release, like It's Attorney Investigations 2 and The Greatest Attorney, I won't because I need the skills of those local localizers yeah. to put their flair. I mean, they're the ones that put the milkshake, bring the boys to the yard joke and stuff like that. I mean, not that. Damn right, it's better than yours. Yeah. We know what Sorry. I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I will... S- I know you always want a physical. I mean, there's copy. a reason why you can't directly translate it, but yeah. I know you want. I know you always like the physical copy. So I have a question for you: Are you going to import the crazy one from Japan? The, Do you know what I'm talking about? The one thousand three hundred dollars one. Yeah. So for thirteen hundred, for one thousand three hundred sixty-five dollars, you can get all six games, a soundtrack of only one of the games, um, a set of fifteen postcards, a box for those postcards signed by the game's art director, a sheet. Just a sheet. I don't know what the sheet is of. <laughs> it says here's a sheet signed by the uh, Ace Attorney designer and a seven gram pure gold memorial plate. So if you really love Ace Attorney and just having all six on your 3DS download isn't good enough, you can import this for $1,300 and have a sheet unspecified signed by the designer and a bunch of other things. If you have disposable income for it, yeah. That's so much though. Like, you Maybe. can get a MacBook with that money. I already have a MacBook. You can get another one. Get a new Actually, one. Actually, no, I'll take that back. Because I, I would obviously already have the games, like, physically. I mean, I have every yeah. game physically except for 5 and 6 because they weren't released physically. Yeah. But I was debating, and I probably will. Like, the next time I go to Japan, I'm probably just going to buy the physical copy just so I could have right. the game cases. Yeah, that makes sense. And then that'll be that. 
There you go. I mean, I already have signatures from the directors and the creators. Oh, that's right. On, so do I, because I was with you when you met them. On posters and the game. Yeah. Or a game. But, but you don't have the gold. undisclosed a sheet or a seven gram pure gold memorial. I will plate. be getting those plushies if I see them. In that's Japan. not made of seven grams of pure gold in a memorial plate shape. That's fine. I don't need the memorial plate shape. But don't you want a box of 15 postcards with the box signed by the art director? Oh, you already have the signature. Anyway, we digress. The reason I bring up all this is to say Japanese third parties are actually bringing the goods to Switch, and it's kind of nice to see. Meanwhile, here in the West, it's a very different story. It's a very different vibe. I mean, there are some notable exceptions. We mentioned last episode, Take-Two is being like abnormally bullish on Switch with NBA and WWE. We have Bethesda bringing a Skyrim. Granted, it's Nintendo published, but still, it's Bethesda bringing a Skyrim. Ubisoft's I like... I completely all, forgot that was a right? thing. I, I actually did too, and I was compiling this list. Like, Ubisoft, you know, obviously is on board with Mario Rabbids and Rayman Legends and Just Dance and Starlink and uh, Steep, if it ever gets out of development, Hell is rumored. Um, that's but, a snowboarding game? Yeah. Oh. But that's like that's like it. I mean, two of the industry's biggest third parties are kind of tepid about Switch. They're barely touching Switch. I mean, we had Activision bring us Skylanders at launch, and I don't have they even announced anything else. I can't think of a single Activision game coming to Switch. No. Exactly. And then, like, I don't know. There's nothing. And then the other example is EA, you know, just to really exemplify how different the West is treating the Switch than Japan. Because EA, they're bringing us FIFA. It's a mostly fully featured one. But that's all they're bringing us. And the weird thing is what? Mostly? Mostly. It's missing one mode. But it's built from the ground up on a custom engine. I think we talked a few episodes ago about how dumb that was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And how dumb it is that why not just invest in the engine, porting it to Switch versus new one. But anyway, the thing about EA is they're arguing that FIFA and FIFA alone is going to determine if they continue to support the Switch. How FIFA does will determine everything else they do. The exact mm, the quote. The good old test. Yeah, this is the true test. Like Capcom and the Japanese publishers are like, oh, the test. But no, they're still bringing many games. This is the real test. And what's the exact quote comes from uh, Patrick Soderland. He's, I think that's how you say his name. He's the VP of EA's Worldwide Studios. In other words, he runs all the development decisions at EA. And he said that EA, and this is his words, believes that we want to be part of the Switch. I'm glad they feel it in their heart, but they aren't there yet. Uh, which, oh, you know, like, okay, <laughs> that doesn't sound so bad. That's a little weird, but sure. But he goes on to say, this is a long quote. I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's like, oh, come on. He says, at the same time, as, you know, as believing, uh, we have to look at it from a resource standpoint. And at some mm-hmm. point, the numbers... They're selling too much. I know. And at some point, the numbers become a factor. So for us, it's about supporting the platform, building technology for the platform. Oh, like your one-off engine where you could just pour the real engine? Anyway. Uh, building technology for a platform, testing it out with big things like FIFA, and maybe a couple others. We'll see. And if they go well, I see no reason why we wouldn't have as much of our portfolio on that platform as possible. Now, my gut reaction to that is it's kind of weird. Like, how do sales of a soccer game determine if Star Wars will do well on a Switch? Or Battlefront? Or the already very Nintendo-y Unravel, which is literally a platformer about yarn, like Yarn Yoshi? Why would FIFA's sales or lack of sales decide if, anything, if any of those should be on switch i don't should, get it yeah i mean that goes for any company i feel yeah. they should look at similar games already on the console see how those are yeah. like, like you just said like they could see oh yoshi's really well that's not on switch but you know what I mean. it will be next year <laughs> yeah like they could see how that does and like yeah. all right we'll bring unravel definitive like, edition like, 
and the other publishers get it. Like, I mean, Capcom has their so-called test, but they're bringing over different genres to see what works best, and they're kind of yeah. matching it with what fans of Nintendo have Street bought. Fighter, I guess, for Street Fighter, Ace yeah. Attorney. Wait, that's not Not Ace Attorney, but Monster Hunter. and yeah. There's no Mega Man on Switch. Yeah, well, there's barely Mega Man on anything. I know. You know, yeah. Mega Man Legacy 2 might be, at one point, have been coming to 3DS. There's references in its code to 3DS, and there's even a license by Nintendo copyright. Oh, game. yeah, that's a patch out. Yeah, but it's not it's on 3DS. Yeah. yeah. But, um, no, but I was going to say that, like, so Capcom's kind of genre matching. Take Two is genre match- matching. They have pure sports game with NBA. They have more of a fighting, arcade like, wrestling game with WWE. So, you know, people are sort of experimenting, and yet EA is just like, hey, we know the mission statement of Switch is local multiplayer, so, you know, if people don't like this specific variety of our local multiplayer, then why on earth would they like anything else we make? Doesn't make sense to me. It's just so, I don't know, it's just so backwards. I mean, I get the point. You gotta invest time and energy and resources, but there's gotta be a better way of assessing this than just, like, they didn't buy soccer? Well, don't give them anything with lightsabers. Oh. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. I don't know. Well, and, I never... Because you know what they're doing. They're setting themselves up for when they decide not to support the Switch if FIFA doesn't do well. They're like, hey, we tried. It's not our fault. You guys didn't buy our game, which is such a um, lame... Especially yeah. after you said that they, like, built a new engine from the ground up. It's like investing all it's this like, money. It's like, why not just... It's like, me- it's like we actually lost money putting That's what they're going to say. Yeah. That's what they're going to say. I mean, the nice thing is the, the pretend, potential silver lining here is the numbers may work out in their favor because as new sales reports are showing... The Switch is still on fire right now. Or as much of a fire as the limited stock allows it to be on. But the Switch is really popular, and I think there's enough people buying it that may also be interested in FIFA that they may pull through on this. And what I'm specifically referring to as sales is the July MPD numbers, which brings us to our final topic of the show, which is Jason Sales Corner and Nintendo hardware announcements. So don't touch that dial if unless you don't care about these things. And by all means, you can turn me off right now. But um, And you, turn us off. But anyway, so MPD July numbers came out. Uh, they track, for those who may or may not know, specific game sales here in the U.S. for the month of July in this case. And to give some context, game industry as a whole saw sales go up 19% year over year, driven by so- a software up... Uh, wow. Let me restart that. Where was I? 19% year over year. 19% year over year, driven by a software I'm uptick of... I know, yeah, and I can't read my own notes. Driven by a software uptick of 17%, which they're crediting, NPD is crediting, to Splatoon 2 and strong second-month sales of Crash over on PS4. Meanwhile, it's also, along with uh, 17% of software uptick, being driven by a 29% hardware increase, which they're attributing to the Switch and continues to to the PS4. So, the Switch inventory is uh, kind of what's of note here. So because Xbox Nintendo... not really helping the video game call? Xbox has fallen off a cliff, and they're now... You know the Xbox One X is launching in November with no game? They delayed Crackdown 3. Yeah, someone po- All they have is Forza. That's the only thing they have the rest of the so year. So someone posted a timeline of like first party games by Microsoft and a like year over year and yeah. how like I saw that they chart, peaked at yeah. 2002 and then it just... Here's the thing that recently came out. It was literally out. a bell curve. Well, here's the thing that recently came out about That's Microsoft. not about averages? <laughs> no, yeah. Here's the thing that recently came out about Microsoft. They have yet to turn a profit on Xbox. They've made $9 billion in revenue. No profit, apparently. Some insider at Microsoft had said that. they my, Xbox was supposed to be Xbox their Xbox One, right? Xbox. Period. Oh, period. Xbox as a thing. So the 360 was... It was, awesome. but they kept investing more in third-party deals and infrastructure. The Xbox, if this is true, but the Xbox's goal was always a foot in the door for the post-PC world. 
when xbox came out it was microsoft putting a pc in your living room and then they take over your living room remember when xbox one was gonna be your home entertainment hub with connect and everything and it backfired on them that was them trying to push that post pc this is your hub now we want to run your living room and the thing is they were willing to invest so much money into doing that and get so many exclusives because they thought gamers would be the way in then they reassessed. Then they got a new CEO, the guy who's like, hey, let's put all our software on as many platforms as we can. Let's be platform agnostic. It's about services, not mm. hardware and software and whatnot. Sounds like someone that would take down Microsoft. I mean, Xbox. Yeah, well, Xbox interestingly thing. enough, I mean, not seemed, that, if you look yeah. at the number of exclusives that they currently have and how they backed off investing in other companies, you know, games and whatnot, and how even like, I think they closed Xbox Game Studios, didn't they? In the, did they? Or maybe not Xbox games. They did something where a bunch of, like, they had a program where they supported other companies or they funded games and just ended it, I think. But my point, they did something where very clearly, if you look at the number of exclusives. I'm sure they're happy with how Microsoft is. I mean, Minecraft is. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah, because that's, and that platform agnostic. Yeah, exactly, that fits yeah. the strategy. But if you look yeah, at, it like. It could work for them for Gears and their other stuff. Yeah, but, like, if you look currently at the number of games they're invested in, that chart you're describing there were very clearly some budget cuts made to the Xbox division. Yeah. Like, they, it's not a f- the forefront of their future plans anymore. Like, and as such, they're scaling it like 12 it at one point, and then now it's like 2 or 3. Yeah. 360 was the heyday. Yeah. And now it's like flying to away. Like, it's not even referenced in MPD, really. Oh, yeah, and like a game just got delayed. Like, games that keep getting... Yeah, keep Crackdown. Getting, Crackdown. Yeah. So, Crackdown 3 was supposed to launch with the Xbox One X. Xbox One X now has no launch game. <laughs> so... They're not delaying the Xbox One X, mind you. They're just releasing it. From the line. And their their pitch is, hey, hey, we have other games. You can get Assassin's Creed. You can get Call of Duty. You can get Battlefield. You can get Forza. You can and and the arguments like, but how do any of those demonstrate what that One X does that the One does not? Those all work on the One. I mean, obviously Crackdown does as well. But the the pitch of Crackdown was the world would be more expanded. Like there'd be way more detail in the world and stuff. Like, I think with that Wii U tech demo. With the bird, like nothing ever yeah. came with it, like a yeah. scope, or even the Zelda thing. Well, the Zelda, yeah, but I mean, at least they were up front and said those are tech demos, unlike yeah. Mario 128 That's back the in the though. day, where I mean, they were like, this is gonna be real, and then it wasn't. I always, I mean, I, I didn't know it was this bad. I always thought Microsoft just had a, a very specific niche that they were taking care of. Not anymore. They don't really <laughs> look like they're taking care of anyone. Yeah, I mean, literally, the best no... my friend that just got that Xbox One. Well, don't get me wrong, there's still games for it, like people that like Halo, people that like Gears, they, people that like Forza. They will still. That's how you're supposed to say it. Forza, but they uh, they'll still have games. It's Xbox One right now reminds me of Wii U about two to three years ago. There'll be a few flashes in the. There'll be a few uh, like splashes in the flashes in the pan. Splashes in the pan. There'll be some loose water. No, there'll be some flashes in the pan that like do really well, of course. But it is definitely Nintendo and Microsoft kind of switch places. It feels like. Um, but yeah, MPD hasn't mentioned it at all. Instead, they're talking about the Switch primarily. Like, Switch, number one selling system of July. Uh, no official numbers, but leaked numbers place it at a total of about 224,000. Would probably be higher if they didn't have inventory issues. And that's with boosted inventory. That's where they, you know, timed all the releases of the hardware with the Splatoon launch. Um, on the software side, Nintendo actually walked away as the best selling software publisher for July as a whole, in the whole industry. Wow. They, Splatoon 2 was number one. Uh, on based on just eight days of tracking, uh, it, the physical sales again, according to the leaks, are three hundred thirty-seven thousand units. This does not include any eShop downloads. And anecdotally, I mean, between you and me, how many people do we know that own Splatoon? Like six, seven. 
Everyone that I know that owns a Switch? Yeah, I am the only one in the, this entire group of six or seven that has the physical copy, as far as I'm aware. Oh, yeah. So if 330,000, if 337,000 physical copies were sold. Wow. And totally speaking, they, I mean, Nintendo's. <laughs> it's a six to one ratio. Well, Nintendo's already. I mean, five to one. Yeah. But Nintendo's already gone on record. Well, multiply that, that by five and you got your digital sale. There you go. Well, well, yeah. Nintendo, actually, it's not that far. No, it's not quite that high a ratio because Nintendo already confirmed um, that they have passed over a million copies sold of Splatoon 2 worldwide. Wow. So that's pretty good. And if you're wondering, they have racked up over 400 million online matches since it came out. So if you do some quick math, apparently each person is playing. No, that can't be right. 40 million matches each. <laughs> I don't know how that math works. But if you divide 400 million by many... a million, it should be 40 million. Should it not? I mean, I just recently started getting more into not salmon mode since I maxed out my job title. You're, you're a professional, professional, and then filled that bar up all the way to 100, and now I'm just waiting to play with friends and salmon run. So I guess I, I get just, the hint. So it's like I might as well <laughs> go back to ranked mode and I get the hint. do those I get the hint. tower defense and no, I'm just gonna you. throw stats at you to make you not shame me. So um, oh no, I'm done already. Oh, you got your shaming in. Anyway, I was gonna say um, it's not just by the way, it's not just Splatoon that did well for Nintendo. Um, Zelda. And Mario Kart were in the top ten for July. Zelda was still at number five, which for a game that's been out since March is pretty yeah, impressive. I mean, isn't it like a, basically an evergreen game? At yeah, point? as is Kart, which was at number seven. They both are because, like, if you buy a Switch, you're buying Zelda. If you buy a Switch, you're buying Mario Kart. So it, it makes sense. Which means now that every single uh, <laughs> you're Switch, you buy Splatoon. Well, that's it's, it's almost the opposite. It seems like Splatoon is now a Switch system seller based on this day. You know, the fact that they sold through every Switch they could on the day Splatoon came out, and Splatoon still. Is, and then you know, number one stops teasing characters and just reveal stuff for arms maybe it will be you like mean like too. whatever the candy coated person is that's about to come out yeah yeah i feel like transforms they, in some way apparently well yeah they you they, know this conversation they, they, they expanded into a giant yeah. ball in the video but this conversation is gonna be weird if people listen to it in like three days from now because it'll probably be revealed already <laughs> they're just they're just milking it way too much i feel like i also find it weird that they put on nintendo versus twitter versus the nintendo twitter yeah. Like, this is big enough that you should put on your... I know Nintendo Versus gets retweeted by Nintendo, but, like, guys, this is a major announcement. Whatever. But, yeah, Ar- well, ARMS, even with that, um, you know, with the kind of falling to the wayside-ness, has sold over a million copies. Every single Nintendo first-party game worldwide is now past a million. Now that Splatoon joined the ranks. That's kind of crazy. Every Well, except snipper clips, but that's digital only, so it doesn't quite count. But, um, yeah, the, the point I was making about Splatoon, if... Um, Splatoon, I think, is becoming a system seller. Like, it's it's definitely a system seller. Like, here, I mean, in Japan it has been. Here in the U.S. it's starting to become one. And Nintendo's kind of putting this idea to the test. Um, they're going to release a hardware bundle September 8th, and it will come with, obviously, the Switch, as well as a eShop code to download the game, which is kind of interesting. They're not going to give you a physical one. They really are pushing for download. Um, and it's going to come with those green and pink Splatoon Joy-Cons that you can buy however you want in Europe and Japan, but here in the States, for now, you have to get in this bundle that also comes with a Splatoon carrying case, and all that together is $380, only at Walmart, September 8th. So does that mean the carrying case is 20 bucks? Presumably. Or they're somehow ripping you off. Because, yeah, the Switch is 300 The game The is... Joy-Cons are... No, the case is free. Wait, no, there's the a lot of free not, things. The game is not 80 bucks. No, the game's 6 No, the system's 300 The system's 300 The game is 60 The Joy-Cons are 80 and the case is ten or twenty, but and you're game, paying three eighty total. You're getting an additional set of Joy Cons. Oh no, those are the main Joy Cons. Never mind. That's why. Sorry, bad math. Bad math. 
Yeah. Uh, this is what happens when you're at the two hour eighteen minute mark. Come <laughs> um, on, Jason. No, but I guess the case is twenty dollars. You would think they would discount it in some way. Yeah, it's usually a discount. When I saw the price, I'm like, that can't be right. Like, do they give you extra Joy Cons? Like, no. Do you just get one pair of Joy Cons for three? You get That's, the yeah. You, you get the three hundred dollars set. A sixty dollar game is fifty nine ninety nine. They're right? hoping you. Or is it sixty nine ninety nine? The game fifty nine. It's fifty nine. It's sixty. Yeah, so it's a yeah, so yeah, it's a system. A sixty dollar game, and a twenty dollar case. Not even the physical game. And a twenty dollar case. Yeah. Hmm. They're really hoping people want those Joy Cons. Huh? I mean, I the guess it's a premium color. I guess you're paying for it. I mean, I remember there was a but time. Here's the thing. There was a time when Apple charged you more for the MacBook just because it was black. Here's the, oh yeah, I remember that too. Here's the thing about this though. Nintendo is very specifically saying this is the quote, this is in their press release verbatim. First chance for North Americans to get the pink and green Joy-Cons. As in there will be other chances. You don't just say it's the first chance if it's the only chance. You say this is the chance if it's the only chance. So I'm not sure who they're selling this to. Like you would think they're going to try and trick people into buying a second Switch just for the Joy-Cons. But yet, then they're saying, no, you don't even have to do that. We'll give it to you later. Like, I don't know what this is for. It's It, it will put to the test. Like, if, you, if you're if you someone that wants Splatoon, think the Joy-Cons are cool and could use a case, this isn't a bad bundle. You're not losing money. You're just not saving money. That's all. I think the case is probably 20 bucks. My case I have, I think, was 20 bucks or 25 So it's not that absurd. But no, it is it worth bit, 20 I want to I don't know, I say I didn't pay 20 for mine, but maybe I did. You might have. The dollar's value is not what it used to be back in the ye, the ye old days. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of a weird bundle in that. It's really, like, when I was saying they're putting to the test if Splatoon's a system star, I meant it in the most literal sense. Like, it is literally putting it to the test because you're not, there's no, I guess there's no discount here. So, so we'll see. But um, that wasn't, well, huh. you. I guess they do, go for, they do go for 20 typically. You'd think they'd at least save you $10 or something now. 17 20 Oh, the one I got was fifteen. But if if you're perplexed, if you're perplexed by the joy, uh, the Splatoon Joy-Con situation, perhaps the other hardware news Nintendo announced. The first is, party ones are twenty bucks, so there you go. It there you go. But yeah, perhaps mine, mine was, was cheaper. For well, some reason. actually, no, I think that was just a discount. So I think I did pay twenty. I probably did pay twenty. All this or nothing. So you're paying face value for all this stuff. It still feels like a ripoff. <laughs> it, it's just because. Well, it's the only way to get those Joy Cons for now. But yeah. but here's here's a here's hardware you could probably get behind more. On the 3DS side of things, Nintendo made a surprise announcement that they'll be releasing a Samus themed 3DS. It's orange on top, it's yellow on but or gold on bottom. As weird little uh, it's a picture of Samus on the hood on the top it on the hood on the top it has a uh, the 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 Metroid symbol on the bottom. It has a weird little like hexagon triangle shimmery thing next to Samus on the top, which is actually my favorite part of it. It's $200. It comes out alongside Metroid Samus Returns on September 15th. Are you going to cave? No. You like Orange. You like Metroid. You like 3DS. I don't know how you can say no to this, except for the fact that you already have a 3DS. The that, silence is deafening. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, the fact that the 3DS, unfortunately. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, as you said, I, I love Orange. I love Metroid. I just. I mean,. The, I, I like the design. I I, I kind of wish the little Samus wasn't there. I feel mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of like killing it a little. For it's me. a little like kitschy feeling. Like it feels yeah, a little tacky. It, it, if it wasn't there, it'd be perfect. But even then, like I I just got a new 3ds like a couple 
Well, I guess it's not All a couple day. months ago. All day. Yeah, almost a year ago. Um, I'm happy with that one. Def- honestly, like, I honestly feel like I didn't even have to get that one. Seeing how little I've really played it since the Switch came out. And that, and the Switch came out, like, five months ago. So, yeah. Yeah. I, it, I just can't justify it. Especially it's... with other things that, like, like I said in a, in a previous podcast, like, I've had to really sit down and think about what I really want to collect. And I guess... 3DSs is not on the list. Yeah, 3DSs, yeah. It, yeah, it's interesting because, like, I understand... I mean, if I'm going to collect something expensive Nintendo rated, I'd probably get that Bowser statue by Chris Four Figures. But they also haven't even released what it looks like. They want to yeah, do did, a blind did, pre-order. Did they open pre-orders without showing it? Because that seems weird. Yeah. Do they normally do that? No. They, I read their, their, their fact. They said that... um. In order to give people a chance to do 12-month payments, they have to do it this way because they typically only do a 7-month payment plan. Mm. Um, but by doing a blind pre-order, they're allowing people to do a 12-month so payment plan. So basically, your favorite character happened to be the guinea pig for the 12-month plan, and now you're stuck with this blind pre-order situation. Yeah, well, they said that um, they're going to have pre-orders open until they reveal what it looks like three months from now. <clears throat> Which is such a long time. That is, well, that matches the s- close to the seventh month plan they yeah. used to use. And um, based on the silhouette, it kind of look it looks close to a generic Bowser pose, just because he has his arms out. Yeah. I mean, I wish it could be a little more clear, but I mean, it's a silhouette. I don't know. And there's an exclusive version and a non-exclusive version, and these statues What's usually different. Well, I guess you'll know. I don't know because it's silhouetted. <laughs> right. But they have made a a cat Mario statue before that. Yeah. It's a cat Mario pose in the in the stereotypical is it Chinese cat lucky cat yeah I think so a statue it looks really cool like it's just cat Mario on top of a coin block but the exclusive one was all gold like it had like gold painting Ooh. like gold paint and it looked amazing but it sold out really fast obviously yeah maybe you got pre-ordered exclusive so, Bowser for your gold cat Bowser <laughs> well, well the, the thing about um Chris Four Figures for the most part um they do pre-orders until like it closes like until they do they, until they're gone until they sell out no, 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 no. Oh, 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 you mean they do pre-orders until the to window order. closes? Yeah, they do oh, it until the they're all win- made to order anyway. Yeah, yeah they're all made uh, to order. Like, yeah. the only reason the camera sold off because I guess they had the window, like, shorter and I just kind of missed it. Right. Actually, no, I think for that one, they had a set amount made. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Bowser will sell out super fast. But mm, You'd be surprised. I, maybe it depends on the pose, but it's also huge. It's, like, three feet, maybe four feet tall. What? Like They're they show- never that tall. Well, they show- for figures, they're usually, like, two Aren't they? Two feet? Three feet? It varies. Like four. Like their their high-end statues are usually pretty massive. Oh. The ones you could just buy in stores are, yeah, like the way you describe right. like a right. foot or two. Like they showed a guy, like a, a to scale picture of a guy holding the silhouette about the statue and it's like a, his torso to his head basically. Wow. Well, it's like his whole torso. But... You, I mean, regardless of his pose, you have to buy it. You're a Bowser fanboy. You literally have no choice. I don't know. It matter. really depends on the pose. I mean, I have a lot of Bowser stuff. That's true, that, actually. I, that's very I mean, it true. Ha- that's a, it has to be distinctive enough for right. it to be worth it. But, right. Yeah. So no Samus 3DS, possibly no Bowser. Man. Man, there you go. You're failing. I'm showing that J- is massive. I'm showing Jason the picture of He's showing thing. me the picture. That's exactly as he described it with words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's basically the entire man's chest. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. But... Yeah, you're really feeling as a Nintendo fan. All your favorite things and your favorite colors, and you're still not getting them. I mean, for me, I can just find not getting the Metroid 3DS because I mean, like a payment plan that could make it easy to yeah, that's the true. money. But yeah. but 
but yeah, for for the like the Metroid 3DS, for example, like I I don't need to make an excuse for not buying a four foot tall Bowser because I'm not a big Bowser fan. I mean, but... I haven't made the excuse for not buying it yet. No, I know, but you yeah. have it in the wings if need be. Or yeah, you, yeah. But like like the 3DS, for example, I get why you're not buying it. But like for me, even if I wanted a 17th 3DS, I I don't know the design. Like I get why the design's popular. Like I get why people like it. It's really flashy. I don't know. I like my thing. I like my electronics great and bland and boring, like me. Oh, and makes sense. and it's not. Like I mean, I it's like, but even then, like sometimes when I see Nintendo designs, like when they do the limited edition Zelda 3DS, it's like, oh, that looks really cool. Like it's not for me, but it looks really cool. This one, I'm like, it's not for me, and it looks. I get it why people like it, but I don't think it even looks good. I don't think the colors work. I think the orange on top and the gold on bottom's a little jarring i don't know like I think the flame. samus is a little weird and then it could pick different shades i don't know it's not their best work i mean if they wanted to get me to potentially cave on something they just have to team up with capcom because apparently capcom does like to make exclusive 3ds's for monster hunter yes they do not monster hunter though but if they make an ace attorney one maybe i mean honestly any sort of special edition 3ds be it an ace attorney one which or a monster Hunter one would do huge in japan the samus or just make one an here. ace attorney switch they already made a a, a, a monster, a monster Hunter switch, switch. So. yeah any sort of special edition is just gonna do well for a system especially like i was going to say 3ds because it's a really smart way to boost sales a lot of diehard fans may feel the need to get simply because it's ace attorney monster it's an, hunter it's, it's metroid right and beyond that easy revenue generator for nintendo because like these 3ds casings are already out there for them they're at their factories they just repaint them hype it up get the fans in a frenzy and there you go tell them it's a limited run yeah and i mean it honestly couldn't come at a better time since like 3ds isn't exactly lining up the sales chart like be it the metroid one or like these hypothetical ones like here in the states in the month of july the 3ds sales were actually down 44 percent year over year according to leaked numbers uh it only sold about 105,000 units so having a special edition would be an easy booster of those numbers. And I know you're probably, there are probably people listening thinking like, wait, 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 but July, that was new 2DS XL month. That should have boosted things. That launched in July. And you're right. It did. But it only had two days of tracking. And what I'd argue is with two days of tracking and no sales bump, uh, I think this tells us that we're not looking at a major 3DS sales revival with the 2DS XL. Like when the new 3DS XL came, came out, came out with Majora's Mask on 3DS, came out with Monster Hunter Generations, I think. And it, like, did super well. But then the, when the 2DS came out, they launched it alongside New Super Mario Bros. 2. Happy Home maybe, Design? Or Happy Home Design. No. New 3DS. The new 2DS. 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 Oh, new 2DS. Or sorry, not new. Yeah, the original 2DS. The doorstop. It oh. came out alongside, like, a Mario or something. Mm, yeah, was, or a Pokemon or one of those. No, it was already out for Pokemon. Yeah, Mario 2. Yeah, wasn't it, it Omega Ruby and Sapphire? No, they had a special bundle for that. I think it originally came out New Super Mario Bros. 2. Either way, my point is... It didn't light up the sales charts either. Because I think, like, let's be honest, even if you're a diehard Nintendo fan, are you actually clamoring for the 2DS XL? Were you actually clamoring for the 2DS? Like, they remove a key feature for some people, 3D. And while it is, at least in the XL's case, the most comfortable 3DS they've ever made, how many people are going to trade that off unless, A, they already dislike or don't care about 3D, and B, they happen to want an upgrade to the more powerful chipset of the new line, and still haven't done it this many years after the new 3ds xl first came out so i think what the x the 2ds XL especially in the post switch world right so i think what the 2ds xl is gonna be is a slow burner where like as we go into the holidays you're gonna see more parents pick it up for kids and stuff but not gonna be like this instant success story like maybe we thought i thought it would be an episode ago and what makes me more confident saying that is if you look at the 3ds software chart 
where Miitopia and Hey Pikmin both launched on the same day as the new 2DS XL. They both had the same two-day tracking window to work with, yet Miitopia managed to become the second best-selling 3DS game of the month, only behind Pokemon Sun. That, to me, is telling me that 3DS folk are interested in what's going on with 3DS. They're out buying new things for 3DS. The thing is, the new thing they're buying is not, you know, another system. It's a game for a system they already own. So, I that's kind of why I feel like over time maybe we'll see 2DS XL ramp up, but it's not going to be an instant success. And, like, I mean, originally I did think that's how it would be, but now in retrospect, my gut's telling me, like, yeah, we're going to have to wait for Nintendo's second quarter financials to really see how... Yeah, those come out in October, and that's when we're going to get a real taste of how 2DS XL did. Because, you know, it's just going to be this slow, pro- steady little thing that we're not going to be able to really track too deeply with just MPD. So, we'll see. One last thought, and then the episode's done, and that is we cannot forget poor Hey Pikmin. I said Hey Pikmin came out alongside Utopia. And um, Utopia came in number two. Sadly, Hey Pikmin did not do nearly as well. It came in at number six on the charts. It was behind Smash Bros., Pokemon Moon, even the 3DS port of Mario Maker performed better, and this is like six months after it came out, seven wow. months after it came out. I'm hoping Nintendo doesn't misinterpret this as like an re- a rejection of Pikmin as a whole, because that would suck. Because oh, Pikmin's like, great. Like the TV robot. Yeah, test. I'm hoping they see this as perhaps <sighs> people wanting a truer, bigger, realer Pikmin like, experience. These exactly like, don't really what how to test things. Well, well, no, to be clear, Nintendo hasn't said this was the test. No, 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 no. I'm just kind of going right. back to our conversation from earlier and Chibi yeah. Robo. Yeah. It's like, you have to test out a proper Chibi Robo game to see if Chibi Robo will sell, not... Not Chibi Robo Ziplash, yeah. Yeah, because then they're not going to know, like, wait, what failed? Was it the weird yeah. world mechanic thing or the branding or, I mean, or Chibi Robo? Yeah, it, it, it's <laughs> weird. Why and like not Pikmin, Because Pikmin's still amazing, and I, and I know they're yeah, making Pikmin exactly. 4, so I'm confident that'll be fine, but like... Maybe maybe people just don't want to hate Pikmin. It's hard to say. It's also kind of interesting that Miitopia, a game about Mies, centered around Mies, number two on the chart, like I said, that kind of validates Mies as still a very key IP for Nintendo. Even though they're de-emphasized on the Switch, even though Mi- uh, Mitomo on smartphones is kind of dead, they're still bringing in money. So, so that's kind of impressive. Um, and with that, like I don't want to end the show on the note of, hey, Pikmin bombed. Hopefully it doesn't kill the franchise. See you in two weeks. But that is kind of where we're at. Like we're out of news, we're out of stuff to talk about. It's two and a half hours. So yeah. Hey Pikmin bombed. Hopefully it doesn't kill the franchise. We'll see you in two weeks. No, um, in all seriousness though, we will be back in two weeks. Um on actually Labor Day weekend, if I'm not mistaken. I think our next episode goes up September third, which is the Sunday Labor Day weekend. It's gonna have all this news as always. We also have um impressions of Mario and Rabbids, Mario plus Rabbids, Kingdom Battle. Which, it's crazy that that went from, like, first official announcement to release in nine weeks. Like, I wish they did that more often. Surprise games are fun, or games with short notice are fun. Nintendo used to do that a lot. Excite Surprise games? Exc- well, not surprise, but, like, games with short I mean, unfortunately. But... Yeah, games with short lead times. Like, remember Excitebots was announced, like, on the Wii? It was announced in, like, March and came out in April? That was great. I mean, it wasn't great for sales. It actually bombed. But it was great as a fan. But yeah, so we'll have impressions of that. Um, I and guess like use I your said, words. Yeah, that kind of just dropped in out of nowhere, right? Oh, and use your words next. Yeah, that's what you mean. Yeah. Oh, you thought I meant use your words? No, 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 no. I thought you meant like to your use your words came out with no notice, but you meant we'll talk about use your words. You're telling me you're using your words to tell me that we're going to be sharing impressions next episode where we use our words to discuss use, use your, your words. words. Yeah. So if you want to stay tuned for that joke, which is probably going to be like three times that episode, September 3rd, people, I'm telling you. In the meantime, subscribe to us on iTunes, 
Google Play, Podcast Act. Ron, um, we're now on Pocket Cast as well, so you can check Apparently. us out there and Stitcher. Um, or you can follow us on Twitter at Nintendo so you don't miss anything. You can follow us individually. Well, we're getting I'm JSR7. He's what? I just said we're getting around. We are getting around like a virus. And uh, anyway, I'm JSR7. He's Wero, W E I R O underscore O. And in the meantime, you know, go follow, subscribe, and I don't know, download some eShop things. We've talked about it a lot. So, shit. Sure.